Bling Blong, everyone. Our new podcast miniseries, Talking Mission Hill, is now exclusively on Patreon. Put on your spicy pants every Friday with a new podcast covering each episode of the cult series from Simpsons legends Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein. $5 subscribers at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons can hear every episode, plus all of our previous miniseries about Futurama, King of the Hill, and The Critic. So don't be a Beardsley. Sign up for Talking Mission Hill today. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy, everybody, and welcome to Talking Simpsons, a podcast so hackneyed it would make Stan Lee blush. I'm your host, a big guy who's good at knots, Bob Mackey, and this is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Hey, it's Henry Gilbert, your goofy roofie. And who do we have on the line? This is Jason Sheridan of Podcast The Ride, uh, and I am a regular man who has been screwed by ivory tower eggheads yet again. (laughs) (laughs) And today's episode is Treehouse of Horror 10. Yeah, well, whenever you notice something like that, a wizard did it. I see, all right, yes. But in episode AG4... Wizard. (laughs) Today's episode aired October 31st, 1999 on Halloween. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my God. Oh boy, Bobby. Being John Malkovich is released in movie theaters. The crappy Avengers cartoon series Avengers United They Stand starts on Fox Kids. And I picked out this news, especially for our guests. At Halloween Horror Nights 9, it's the closing night of it. And at the Bill and Ted show that year, they are facing the combined might of Dr. Evil, Marilyn Manson, and Jar Jar Binks. No Mr. Burns this year? No Mr. Burns this year, yeah. at least in the in the wiki write-up I read about the, the Bill and Ted adventure of 1999. I love... They got a lot of mileage out of Dr. Evil, I'll <laughs> say that. <laughs> I love your episode about that, Jason, uh, because these Halloween Horror Nights were these, like uh, I guess, elaborate plays with different characters, but it's, just, it's mostly illegal fan fiction yes. is happening on stage oh yeah parody parody satire parody Mm. Uh, Uh, though what is not in satire is their hate for people who are different that's very real (laughs) yes yeah no the bill and ted show i believe Either us or Brad Evans said these are these are pretty much a hate crime. <laughs> uh, it was a different time in 1999. I mean, there's some jokes in here that I'm like, boy, that was 20 years ago. Mm, huh? It certainly I was. Know. And uh, being John Malkovich, I don't remember it being in theaters. Oh, I saw it in theaters. Okay. Well, because uh, I'm a dork whose mom took him to the cool movies, and so when I saw that this was getting all the reviews as uh, as the new as this neat cult film, I was like, well, I got to see this. Like, and I think i was aware or at least the reviews told me who spike jones was and i was like oh, i remember the sabotage music video yeah this movie taught me who john malkovich was yes. when i was 17 i as well jason i know you're a comic book fan did you see the any of avengers united they stand i do yes i uh remember watching avengers united i remember buying a few issues of the comic too because um some of them were written by ty templeton oh, who okay. uh, did a lot of the um, batman animated series 
movies and the animated series uh, comic book tie-ins. Uh, the Batman animated series comics were some of the rare media tie-ins that were like very good. Oh yeah, I was. I've talked them up a lot when we've done Batman podcasts. I've I've told people like if you if you really like the Batman animated series vibe, the comics from the '90s captured them perfectly. Yeah, there's a sequel comic to the Mask of the Phantasm movie that we read for that uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah um, the Superman Adventures one's pretty good too, but I think more notable for being written by um, Scott McCloud and also Mark Miller. Oh, Mark mm-hmm. Millar. I don't know how to pronounce that name. I I'm think Millar. I think I mean, it's Millar. He's, he's Scottish, yeah. so it's like that throws he's, it all off. Yeah, and so and this is this is. I mean, it was he was popular back then. This is well before like Kick Ass and Wanted and everything. But like, I believe also very solid, like kind of just sort of the core character stuff you you want from like Superman and Batman comics. Those animated tie-ins. When when I was 17, I was not above watching a kid's cartoon of superheroes, but I didn't watch Avengers United They Stand because I didn't like the designs. They were very much like the the pre-Heroes Reborn designs of the characters, which is like two 90s for me. And also, this is incredible to say now, but then they're like, no, we don't need Captain America, Iron Man, or Thor. Like, none of those three are in that cartoon. Yeah, absolutely not. No, uh, the Avengers were kind of like, oh, who gives a shit? They stopped making X. They're like scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> at this point. And- X-Men ruled the 90s and the Avengers just had to take a complete backseat. It's crazy. And and what a world now. I mean, the, the one segment in this episode is like, wow, this is some of these jokes are just like I, I novel for the time and now are just like uh, kind of pat. You know, a lot oh, of yeah. the superhero stuff and, and nerd stuff in this one. Uh, but uh, but yes, welcome, Jason Sheridan, officially. Hi. Hey. Yes, you might I've, have heard him. I've already talked everyone's ears off well no, before my official no, no. introduction. No, no. Uh, you might remember Jason from our episode about uh, They Saved Lisa's Brain. We had the entire podcast The Ride crew on in L.A. when we were allowed to travel and mm. talk to people in a room. <laughs> But uh, he's here remotely, and thank you so much for being on the show, Jason. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Do you recall watching this on Halloween night of 1999? Um, I think I did, or at least I taped it off TV. I think, so 1999 Halloween, I think this was, this, I was a freshman in high school. I think I begrudgingly went trick-or-treating, even though I knew, like, I didn't really want to. I pretty much never, I wanted the candy, but I didn't want the act of trick-or-treating. So Mm. I think I did, like, a really quick loop of, like, the coldest, of, like, my neighborhood. Mm. I lived in a neighborhood that was, like, had one entrance and ended in a few cul-de-sacs. And so I just did a quick uh, loop. But I, I definitely remember watching this. I remember a lot. Of, I was looking at the episodes that came before it um, because I don't want to spoil my thoughts too much. But like, <laughs> I was like, I have to. Th- I haven't seen it in a while, but I have to think the Tamako episode holds up a little better than this Treehouse of Horror. I don't know that this is one of the A-list Treehouse of Horrors. I was thinking, so we were doing a lot of season 10 and season 9 before this, and I'm thinking yeah. this is uh, probably Scully, the Scully era's best Trios of Horror. I, okay. I like all these of segments. 9 through 12? Yeah. yeah. I think it is, I it might be his best. I think it might be the best. I, I believe I just watched recently the season 13 one, which has the Harry Potter parody in it, and that one I feel is weaker than this one. It's like, true. I, I will give them Harry Potter because season 3 had like a King Kong parody. Yeah, And yeah. even in this one, Lisa's like, what do aliens have to do with Halloween? So they, they're <laughs> feeling like they don't care what the topic is they could just make fun cartoons it wasn't bad i mean i like the there, there's a few things i i like in it. it it's solid and you know i some very topical stuff in here 
You have to be in touch with the Xena mania, which has ended. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very, uh, like a very specific memory of this episode and where I was when it aired. Like I remember I had to record this one. I don't know why I remember this because it's so, it's such a frivolous uh, bit of information, <laughs> but I had to record it because my friend's rich dad was in town. He took us out for a steak dinner. Oh, so nice. I was eating a steak dinner <laughs> on Halloween night of 1999 and all the wait staff were dressed up. Maybe that's why I remember oh, it. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yes. And the waitress was one of those, like, she had, like, the inflatable horse around her, like, midsection with, like, two little fake legs dangling off. Uh, That's cute. And I I fell for that illusion. I'm like, how's she doing that? (laughs) But, uh, yeah. yeah. Not important for listeners to know at all, but uh, <laughs> I have that memory. The power of having a divorced dad friend, a friend with a oh, divorced yeah. dad. A rich divorced dad, yeah. baby. Well, th- that divorced dad needs to have money. Yes. That got yeah. me out to California for the first time. <laughs> do, you, do you remember, uh, was that steak dinner, was that at like an Outback Steakhouse or like a Morton's? Uh, it was actually a local steak oh, place. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I totally forget the name, but it wasn't like a big a big box steak it restaurant. It was a step above an Outback. Then, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I feel I I only ask because I feel like both varieties would dress up, but I feel like the the Outback Lone Star variety would be a little rowdier on Halloween. <laughs> I, it seems like the like tyrant business owner made them dress up for that night, <laughs> and they okay. didn't want to. We have fun here, damn it! <laughs> I did want to compliment Jason first on the their father of the pride podcast recently yes. it saves us the trouble of having to do a what a cartoon about it which i hope to never do yeah after hearing that i knew it was bad i didn't know how bad it I truly was yeah i don't i don't recommend anyone doing it. i mean we had talked about it for a while because you know as this show has gone on like any podcast we start to branch out or find like connections and like odd cgi and especially like early attempts at like big budget cgi are very funny and i think Father of the Pride came up in in one of our uh, Griffin Newman episodes. Griffin Newman kind of has become uh, one of our regular guests in his area, his lane for when he comes on our show is usually like 3D movie uh, mm-hmm. attractions. And so he had done the Terminator ride, which is which was terrific. And then we did Shrek 4D. And once you start going down the DreamWorks <laughs> Katzenberg rabbit hole, especially because like we were still, that was a pre-Quibi. Uh, we we're now post-Quibi. Mm-hmm. Um, We've all been we were, quibby. We're, we're in the quibby era. We're all sitting at home, holding our phones, um, uh, getting getting the uh, damage to our elbows and shoulders that I had a physical <laughs> therapist work on from holding my phone too much. Wow. But yeah, so we started going down that rabbit hole, and I had a very specific memory of Father of the Pride. Not really watching it, but just the lead up to it, because they spent so much money marketing it. it was, the, there, was a, there was Olympics in the summer of 2004, and they were advertising that nonstop with commercials of just like, these animals are bawdy. These animals are <laughs> crass and horny. From I... the people who brought you Shrek. I know on a Simpsons commentary, Matt Groening tells the story of Siegfried or Roy coming up to him and saying like, oh, Father of the Pride, we look to the Simpsons. We want to be just as good as you guys. Oh, jeez. I, I feel like there is some Simpsons DNA and more of the Siegfried and Roy like B stories. I it's it's funny because it, when we, we were talking about it a little before this, like it's just, you know, like most comedy of the time, there are a lot of jokes that have not aged well. But the show is surprisingly respectful to Siegfried and Roy. Like they are never the butt of the jokes. And the way they got around that was they just made them like like Looney Tunes, like funny because it's random, like wacky well, characters. Well, that's funny because the Simpsons handle celebrities in that kind of light gloves way of like, well, we we won't actually 
really be mean to you, but if we make it random, like say, uh, I guess it's in the same way that Johnny Carson learned how to could juggle cars. Yeah. Like that, that kind of joke. Yeah. And it may be surprising, but adding money to a thing does not make it funnier. No. So when I heard that the head writer for Conan O'Brien from 95 to 2000 worked on that show, I was like, oh, my God. Mm. Well, I mean, that poor bastard. <laughs> I would I would think his main job was to be yelled at by Jeffrey Katzenberg. And, this isn't uh, a joke. <laughs> this isn't funny at all. I, Katzenberg has the create a buy credit on Father the Pretty Bride, amazing. Really incredible. I, the other thing we learned, I, I talked about this because I put myself through further torments by um, on our Twitch stream. I watched the original pilot, which was, I bought the DVD. I bought the DVD because I thought we were original plans were like, we'll sit around and watch this together and then record. And then when we started quarantining, we're like, well, wouldn't it be funny if we watched this full season in one day? Because the episodes, <laughs> there's not that many and they're not very long. But there was extra stuff on the DVD. And I was like, well, I'm a completist, so I should mm. sit down and watch some of these. And I don't think it paid off. I don't I don't <laughs> necessarily, I don't regret doing it, but it, it did not have a huge payoff. Um, we, we know your pain is be, of being a completist. It's it's a curse. Yeah. Yeah. I, do, I don't want to suffer for my art all the time, but I do think it's, <laughs> it's good to suffer occasionally. And so, yeah, the other thing we learned, like the day it came, a, a friend of Scott's, I believe, let him know and and then we found a people magazine article um roy after being attacked by manticore his first public appearance was like a live uh video feed interview uh on stage at the upfronts for wow. this show wow. and everyone was kind of horrified Oof. like why I, you didn't have to do this. Well, I I mean, after that, I believe he did a performance, one more performance with Manticore just to prove, like, it's not, don't blame the tiger, everything's fine. Like, he... Uh, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was glad that he was always, you know, of the don't blame the tiger argument because they always kill the animal yeah. when that happens. The animal is just doing its job. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't yeah. want to even be there. I, I think he's doing okay. He, he's doing okay. That's good. I mean, uh, as we mentioned before, we're in a post-Quibi world, and Quibi launched at the perfect time because I don't have enough time to watch TV shows. Who has the time? <laughs> no time at all. I can watch two minutes of something, and then I've got to go outside and talk to people and be in rooms. Uh, I had always been wanting to watch under 10 minutes of content of Reese Witherspoon talking over nature documentary footage, and now I have that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we all had a good laugh about the golden arm. That was one of the quarantine highlights. Oh, yes. Uh, um, bury me with my golden arm. <laughs> we can talk about this one off mic, but there was one that I saw clips of that literally made me go, no, no, like when I, I realized what I was witnessing. I think I might know which one you're talking about, but, uh, but I, yeah, you know, on the subject of magicians, before we move on too far away, uh, before we stay on topic, I want to go off topic real quick. So listeners heard last week, uh, your co-host on Podcast Ride, Mike Carlson, we talked a lot about David Copperfield, his Las Vegas show, Blue, and my theory that Mike Reese uh, wrote the stuff for Blue, Simpsons, former co-executive producer, showrunner, Mike Reese. Since then, I have done a little research on public tweets. One, I can confirm that Mike Reese spent at least one birthday on David Copperfield's private island. Ooh. 
Like, oh, he, yeah. He tweeted out, like, because him and David Copperfield have back-to-back birthdays in September. And so he, the, the they've spent multiple birthdays together. And this one was him even saying, like, I'm on his magic aisle, he put it. And so... It's funny, Mike Reese, in both, like, appearance and demeanor, is the anti-Copperfield. He is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's that other picture. Did you see the other picture where they're backstage at the show? Well, so, yeah. Yes. My other theory is that I couldn't confirm that, but my other theory was that Mike Reese at least was a co-writer of the show and had a lot of stuff. Uh, He is the author of all the blue jokes in it, uh, for the character blue, I should say. And the tweet was him uh, and his wife with Copperfield after one of their shows. And he said, it was like, everybody should see this show. It's great. And then he like has uh, the alien emoji in there Mm. and and like him specifically shouting out the alien, that feels to me like a Mike Reese brag that he wrote blue. My girlfriend and I saw that show a few months ago, and then we went back and started watching the Copperfield specials on YouTube. And a lot of the illusions are reworked from the TV specials. Oh, that's cheap. That's cheap. <laughs> but kind of, but like he he's he's changed it. He he's evolved the show so much over the years. Okay. Some of the stuff that he talked about, he doesn't talk about his grandfather as much anymore. He talks about his father more, etc. Etc. The one tweet of him saying, like, check out the show, that the thing that struck me was just the fit. Like, his outfit, his fit is so normcore, is very funny especially next to the to copperfield in his oh, all black ensemble reese loves his polo shirts he loves them loves or sorry his rugby, rugby shirts, shirts. L- rugby shirts and he, cargo shorts uh, yes yeah and cargo shorts and the white the the long white side like i mean he i think all of that actually has kind of come back around in a circular <laughs> fashion in in the way that it often does in fashion. I, I've said like, Mike Reese lives the life I wish I could lead, lead of like, you can always, be, you're a legend who can just say the rest of your life, like, yeah, I wrote on The Simpsons in the best years. That was me. And now I'm a millionaire and retired. I don't have any kids and I just fly around the world and mm-hmm. do what I want and get paid probably quite a lot of money to do one day of work uh, in a writer's room a week when The Simpsons writing is in production. Like, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> figured it out but they gotta i mean how long is disney gonna put up with like they've already (laughs) talked about like when companies are getting back up to speed you know places to trim fat and some of that's just craving like you know late capitalism but like how long is until a disney accountant is like hey did you know we have like 20 guys who work one day a week and each get millions of dollars a year (laughs) Uh, I, I think me and Bob, we've, we've talked about it before that I think the, when the season 32 broadcasting deal is up, Fox will not renew it and Disney will change a whole lot of stuff. That's, that's what I expect. Yeah, I believe that. Uh, but, uh, but yes, I just wanted to give a Copperfield update there. So I, I, I think, you know, you think of the tone that which blue is written. I think it just really fits with Mike Reese's writing style, like quite a lot. Definitely like the, uh, the quips, the body quips. Qui- yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have one bit of shocking information in oh. that. Uh, so this aired on Halloween and for the next 10 years, these uh, Treehouse of Horrors would air after Halloween. The next uh, one to air before or on Halloween was Treehouse of Horror 20, season 21. Holy so shit. So airing after wow. Halloween would be the thing for these for another decade to the point where they make jokes about it. Like, why are we doing the Halloween show after Halloween? Oh, because of baseball. It's terrible. Because yes, of baseball. Yeah. 
I mean, fall ball baseball, yeah, would would preempt this stuff a lot. But when I think of animation and sports, I, I was explaining to someone like, yeah, Family Guy and Futurama like didn't do as well as they could have, at least on the East Coast. I remember when I was growing up in their first runs because they'd always get preempted by football games. Yep. Yeah, yep. King of the Hill would barely make it. That was the 7.30 show on the East Coast. It'd be like Futurama 7, always preempted. King of the Hill, 7.30, maybe not. You'd, you'd always get The Simpsons. Oh, man. I, yes. Now living in the West Coast time zone for as long as I have, I can't believe I was a fool watching the Oscars on the East Coast time zone. Like, it's, it's hell. Yeah, you can watch the Oscars on the West Coast and then go do something else. <laughs> well, actually, I mentioned it last week. Now I remember why I brought up the World Series. It's because this year the World Series ended in four games. The Yankees swept the Braves. If they hadn't swept oh. the Braves, I bet this would have aired on November. 7th instead of October 31st as well. It would have been the inaugural post-Halloween Halloween show. So you should be, we should all be thankful that we got to watch this on Halloween because the Yankees were so good they beat the Braves in four games. I'm more of a Braves fan, so that makes me sad. (laughs) The Simpsons will be right back. Halloween night. Someone knows their secret. He's definitely dead. Someone knows what they did. Stop that. It's the biggest Simpsons Halloween special ever. Uh Uh-oh. I think I'm having a heart attack. An all-new Simpsons, part of a full hour, 8-7 Central, Fox Sunday. Hope you guys aren't chafing in your beetle boots while listening to this week's podcast. A special thank you to our guest, Jason Sheridan. What a cool dude. You guys really got to check out Podcasts Ride. We love that podcast too. Please be sure to check it out. And you know, this podcast, Talking Simpsons, comes to you every week thanks to the support of subscribers on patreon.com slash talking simpsons subscribers for five bucks a month to patreon not only support me and bob doing this full-time but also they support talking simpsons sister podcast what a cartoon where me and bob talk about a different animated series in the same talking simpsons style if you subscribe at five bucks a month to patreon.com slash talking simpsons you get to hear those both a week ahead of time and ad free as well you'll get to hear many exclusive podcasts just for the patreon subscribers currently we're going through the entire mission hill series the cult classic from simpsons legends bill oakley and josh weinstein and if you signed up you get to hear all the previous ones we did mini series about every episode of the critic the first season of king of the hill and the first season and a half of futurama you can only hear those if you are a patreon subscriber at five bucks a month so please sign up now patreon.com slash talking simpsons And if you want something even fancier than a mint condition lightsaber from the Phantom Menace, you want to sign up at the $10 level of patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. You get all of the $5 bonuses I just talked about, but you also get our exclusive for $10 plus subscribers. What a cartoon movie of the monthly podcast for me and Bob talk about a different animated feature film in the same style as talking Simpsons often 
for more than four hours. If you signed up now, you'd get to hear this month's podcast, Space Jam, where we go over Space Jam for over four and a half hours, plus over 75 hours of our previous What a Cartoon movies on subjects ranging as wide as Akira, a Goofy movie, Toy Story 1 and 2, The Animatrix, Kiki's Delivery Service, and tons and tons more. So please consider going up to the $10 level at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. But okay, why don't we start the episode uh, proper here? So Trios of R10, it's again them kind of celebrating themselves. Like now, we they just had their 30th one. So seeing this 10th anniversary one is is really uh, crazy. Yeah, I guess they're still counting. Yeah, yeah. they uh, Yeah, well, the 30th one was also the 666th episode. Wow. And uh, I believe on the 31st one, that'll be this October, or should be, I believe uh, co-friends of our shows uh julia prescott has uh has a writing credit yeah, on i believe that. she did oh, a segment right. yeah yeah i'm looking forward to that but yeah see why don't i play the clip of kang and kodos welcoming us to the show live from fabulous centauri city it's the simpsons 10th halloween special now please welcome your hosts if you haven't been probed by these two you haven't been probed kang and kodos Yes, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our 10th anniversary show. Oh, we've got a great gig. King, what are you doing? You said we were going to warm up the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, I have to apologize for my partner. He had to borrow a human brain. What do aliens have to do with Halloween? Silence! I notice those are all uh, designs from Mike Scully's Halloween episodes, except for Homer. Yeah, that's true. They, yeah. the Homer's from Treehouse 2, but I think all the rest are from the Scully one. Though Lisa with the axe in her head is from nothing. Yeah, I had, ass- <laughs> I had assumed the axe in her head is from being axed by Homer, but he Homer threatens to axe her, but yeah, I don't know where that axe head thing is from. Homer is from the Twilight Zone. Yes, yeah. Gag, right, yeah. Yeah, when Bart turns him into a uh, jack-in-the-box. That one also, Homer's a little off-model. His nose is kind of a circle nose, which I think is probably just because they were left with an old-ass model sheet. They didn't uh, know how to rework. I also, I like the reference to Century City with Centauri City. That's okay, cute. I got it. And I like oh, yeah. the, uh, the sort of glitzy 70s variety show version of the King and Kodos music <laughs> was nice. And, uh, I mean, Jason, you're a SoCal resident. What is the significance of Century City as, as far as an la local joke century city is a place it's one of those places where you can't really park like it's one of those places i don't go to a lot it's where a lot of the agencies are and a lot of um office buildings it's Mm. sort of like near westwood where ucla is Hmm. that's what i think of it as although i think there is an eatily somewhere around there now so Mm. that's worth going to uh, so is it uh, is it bad to film in Century City or is it something you wouldn't brag about? Uh, no, I think it's adjacent to the Fox uh, lot. 
Okay. I, I think it's, it's, it's all kind of near there. I Most of my memories of, of that area are like early PA jobs on like uh, rough reality show, uh, Writer Strike Filler. Oh, like boy. Doing runs. <laughs> Doing runs before we, you know, everyone really used like Dropbox and WeTransfer. Like, there's so much shit. I I remember one of my early PA jobs was printing out physical casting pages with physical DVDs and putting them in overnight FedEx envelopes and dropping them off at FedEx to send to Andy Cohen. Wow. Back when Andy Cohen was just an executive. Now, you could just stick that crap on Vimeo and just send an email. (laughs) Oh, well, true. I forgot Andy Cohen got his start as a producer of things, not a guy who gets to be a late night show host. Yes. Actually, Jason, how close are in your Hollywood travels? I mean, how close have you gotten to the the productions on The Simpsons? That's a good question. Probably. I've never been on the Fox lot now that I think of it, but I would like friends worked on like some of the birthday boys. Mike uh, Mitchell, I believe, right? Mike Mitchell, um, I think Tim Kalpakis, Mm. I think maybe Paul Rust worked for Gracie, um, Joe Saunders, the writer. Um, so I would, I would get stuff about that. And then friends have worked on, I mean, the Simpsons have spawned so many people who have had other shows and written on other shows. So friends have worked with guys who worked on the, on the classic years of the Simpsons. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, so uh, I I do want to give credit to thumbs up to Pete Michaels for and his team for the design of the jack o' lantern eyes of Kang and Kodos being each eye in the yeah. jack o' lantern. This episode That's has fun. a very good direction, I yeah. think. Very well done. Yeah. Kang and Kodos, they're supposed to be like Rowan and Martin or J- Lewis and Martin, like those those guys. Uh, but I thought at first, like, Kodos was going to be the Lewis with his, like, kisses to the audience. But then Kang becomes the dumb one. Mm. And uh, I also think... It's sexist. <laughs> oh, wait. No, no. It's not. No, no. Ko- yeah, Kodos actually, Kodos is the sister. sister. Yeah. You're right. Um, also, like... In three years earlier in Treehouse 7, they make a joke about how probing jokes are played out, and then they just do a probe joke on this. So, uh, like, I, I was hoping we'd have no more probe jokes. It's 1999. We have, like, th- two more months of probe jokes. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, actually, we're not that far removed from Homer sto- making up the story that Ned was gang probe. Oh, that's right. From Viva Ned Flanders. What a funny, yes. funny joke. Wow. Uh, so yeah, forgot, forgot about that one. <laughs> and uh, did you spot all the sci-fi folks in the audience there i think i recognize one of them uh there was definitely a battlestar galactica style cylon and uh, a metalunin from uh, this island earth oh, kind of like yeah that. and uh, then there's a little green alien who i think they just pulled out of their character pack from uh, the membership of the stone cutters but i think he also looks like the roswell alien from bill morrison's roswell comic that matt grading was publishing at the okay. time yeah oh yeah uh, also, we get to see Maggie in alien form, and she kills Lisa in the same way that uh, Kang kills Springer's entire audience in, in the previous year. So good deal of uh, continuity there. And uh, so, yes, then we start the first segment written by Donick Carey, a parody of I Know What You Did Last Summer. And the sequel, because they came out two summers back to back. So oh. summer of 97, summer of 98, and this is fall of 99. So we had just lived through two summers of knowing what people did. <laughs> I forgot they made that that fast. 
fast. That's crazy. And every grammar person was like, it actually should be, I know what you did the previous summer. Excuse <laughs> Instead me. Instead like, of, I still know what you did last there summer. There are bigger problems with that uh, movie. But I will <laughs> say, Donna Carey uh, left the show before the rewrite happened. So the third act of this rewrite of this segment was different. It was going to be Grandpa was going to be the killer. Would have been way better, honestly. I have I have, I, a, I have a lot of Wizard Did It style <laughs> notes about the okay. second half of this, this I, I do like how it turns into a different kind of genre entirely or horror genre uh, but uh donna carey left the simpsons in spring of 99 to work on the austin powers animated series for hbo that was never made oh man it could uh that would be right up there with father of the pride if that had come out man yeah i, I would kill i would kill to see that oh yes. yeah yeah me in 99 would have killed i was a huge austin powers fan especially after the second movie came out and mm. i was so excited to know that there was going to be an animated series by a simpsons guy yeah. on the staff but and i think think hbo that's HBO. quality stuff yeah yeah i think th- probably what it was is mike myers is very precious about his material that does not excuse things like the love guru rather but he is very precious about the things he works on so maybe it didn't fit his standards but it just was never made it seemed like a sure thing there was never yeah. an austin powers cartoon yeah that's surprising hbo would have been the place where they could have like gotten away with stuff too i i could see myers just killing it because he's like uh, uh didn't ma- meet his standards or maybe it was more time intensive than he thought it would be but uh i mean this kind of stuff happens all the time you know there was a howard the duck cartoon that was coming to hulu that i think they wrote all the scripts Mm. for and it's just not coming out i'm still waiting for the fart man cartoon that howard stern was gonna make (laughs) wow i Uh, think they were still they announced the casting for the modoc cartoon modok's the only one they kept going yeah the the, the other three got killed modok i'm looking for i'll give it a try i like pat oswalt yeah sure yeah but uh, i was really looking for that howard the duck show it's uh, i'm kind of bummed <sighs> yeah that feels pretty easy i mean all the original howard the duck stuff you can pull from and then the chips Zdarsky howard the dark duck stuff like- yeah just fully rip off chips Zdarsky and don't give him like any kind of money for it and just make a good show that yeah uh that <laughs> Yeah, no, they'll give him a, a consultant. You know, they'll make him maybe. an associate producer title, maybe a consultant or an inspired by credit. Right. That's what I'm looking forward to for the next phase of Marvel is them starting to get into the weird, like, 70s stuff. That's why I figured they killed the Howard show because they're just like, ah, we got we got a Disney Plus plan for this. We don't need an Adult <laughs> Swim adjacent Hulu show for it. I mean, Marvel ran a comic called What If, which was like all ages parody of their own work for ages. Oh, like, you're thinking of What The what the or, i'm sorry what the what if was the um the alternate you know timeline stuff we well, yeah, what the was uh it wasn't that funny <laughs> but <laughs> you don't like the adventures of oiving Forbush? i i think we, that Forbush man is probably the only thing that i might hold up <laughs> that sorry this is getting too nerdy for the not the second segment of this podcast but uh, yeah uh, but yes, Homer and the family are driving home after another adventure. I still can't believe we escaped from those horrible vampires. But it was worth it to get back our super sugar crisp cereal. Can't get enough of that sugar crisp. I'm having a hard time seeing. Homer, did you remember to put the fog lights in? Guess I forgot to put the fog lights in. I better pull over and play it safe. <laughs> <gasps> Please be a dog. <gasps> oh no! Ned Flanders! He's dead! 
definitely yeah. dead. <laughs> I killed Ned Flanders. You mean you killed Ned Flanders? Oh, it was an accident, an accident. We've got to go to the police. Oh, they'll never believe a Simpson killed a Flanders by accident. Even I have my doubts. Don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, Ned, first thing we have to do is to make sure that no one knows that you're dead. And if anyone asks you to say that you are not dead. <laughs> oh, I love that, uh, Dan. Homer's whispering is his pretty little, great. His little powwow with dead Ned. <laughs> his whispers are supposed to be like written as mama, mama, like you're not supposed to hear it. But so hearing his terrible plan actually said out loud, pretty great. Independent of the visuals, that eyeball squish is even grosser. Yeah, it's fun to hear it isolated. And I did some uh, because when we were kids, it was a uh, golden crisp. Yeah. So I went back to the sugar crisp things that Homer was remembering. the The song never changed, but the original concept of sugar crisp was. Sugar Bear lived in the woods, didn't have a shirt on. We all know him with the classic shirt design. Yeah, I know him with a shirt. And he would trick a witch into giving him her cereal. Oh. So that was, he had like a villain, like a granny good witch, like a nice witch wow. that he would still have to trick to get the cereal. So that's how it happened. Uh, so the cereal changed from uh, Sugar Crisp to sh- Super Sugar Crisp to uh, Super Golden Crisp to Golden Crisp. And I, I don't think I've had, I think I've had like one bowl. I didn't like it. Yeah, I'm, I was not a Golden Crisp eater. Uh, so, uh, Jason thoughts uh yeah that wasn't one of my go-tos <laughs> and well and scully misremembers it well not misremembers it but he treats it like it is still called in 1999 super sugar crisp when after i guess after mike reese stopped eating it it became known as golden crisp because of you know parents didn't they realized how sugary cereals were so the response wasn't to actually cut down the amount of sugar in a cereal but to remove sugar from the name of the cereals and talk about essential vitamins and minerals but homer's uh, golden bear or sugar bear imitation pretty great I, I do love that. It feels a little bit them getting away with stuff because South Park did it, all the eye poke stuff. Yeah, that, they that really... feels like yeah. a South Park response. They lean into it. But I like how it turned... It goes from uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer to Weekend of Bernie's to uh, a werewolf movie. Yes. Throughout <laughs> this, like, six-minute short. <laughs> the the most I Know What You Did Last Summer-y stuff is, like, well, the start here with all of the, the driving on a, you know, dark road and especially on the, the cliffs. Like, I remember that from uh the the original movie i saw both the first movie and second movie in theaters did not know they did a third movie until today oh uh, 2006's yes uh, yeah tra- i'll always know what you did last with summer none of the original cast members yep yeah well buddy back uh but and now in the i believe in 2020 well the who knows now uh it, amazon's gonna have a know what you did last summer tv series so you know every, yeah everything's back but it'll it'll be prestige it will be it'll be well you know i feel i feel like i've been programmed to see amazon as 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 prestige as a netflix thing i feel like i feel like it goes netflix amazon to hulu on prestige scale. well the original movies were just a vehicle for breasts so i, I imagine <laughs> the tv series will follow the same tack hey it's all just seems like chattel like chum <laughs> like i can't tell i think hbo is the only one that i i think of as like higher end at this point um but even who knows what that'll be once hbo max rolls out once although gets- their their marketing has been a little tamer than some of the other streaming sites that all seem like money laundering operations. <laughs> uh they're all about spending on the uh constant debt somehow yeah well though hbo max i call it that because you'll max out your credit card on the high oh, price of the yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Have you heard about Whole Foods? Uh, I got a joke for you, buddy. (laughs) I think it's also very mean to Marge that the only reason she hits Ned is because she's pulling off to the side of the road to be safe. Like, it's it's punishing her for being a safe driver. But uh, they usually make Marge the butt of a joke like that. Yeah, I liked Homer's little song about the fog lights. (laughs) It's so good they play it a second time in the episode. I love it. Yeah. So here's my wizard did it complaint, so I'm going to put them up here, all right? Okay, just know that Lucy Lawless is making fun of you. I know, I know. From New Zealand. Okay, she's Skyping in from New Zealand, but all right. So Homer is using Ned like a corpse. He is fully a dead body, seemingly. So is Ned dead right now, and he is brought back to life and resurrected by his werewolf powers, or is Ned acting dead the entire time to fool them into getting his revenge? Which is it? Like, if it, I think if, Ned is dead for a period of time because he's also he's sort of like an undead werewolf, right? Uh huh. So yeah. I think like he does well, not he become says undead, which like werewolves are not undead. Well, this but. is a special kind of werewolf, Henry. <laughs> uh, where I think that he was dead for a period, and the werewolf magic took over, and he reanimated. Okay, well. I mean, I have another note on the timeline if that's the possibility oh, there. No. But Donna <laughs> Carey shouldn't have left the show. I well, also that like Ned's clothes are in tatters in the flashback, but here when they hit him, and for this whole weekend at Bernie scene, his clothes are intact. You have you have a transcended genius at work territory. But I know, but I'm just it bugs me. It's been <laughs> bugging me for 21 years. I got the world must know. Uh, but yes, Homer, his plan starts going into action here hey Marge look who's helping me clean the chimney <laughs> Neddy where have you been hey Marge diddly I've been having fun with my pal Homer diddly <laughs> oh I'm so relieved whenever you go on one of your late night fog walks I get so worried relax I'm fine but when I do die I don't want any autopsies. Well, come on down, you goofy roofie. Wow, it's very slippery up here. My pies are done. Oh, she missed it. <laughs> hey, Mud, I'm home. Uh-oh, I think I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> and that's the end of that chapter. So I know that was the first non-Maggie Roswell mod performance, right? Um, it always stuck out to me as a viewer at this time. It is incredibly distracting, but uh, in air order, we did hear her in Brother's Little Helper. We haven't recorded that one oh, yet. Oh, okay. Uh, in that one, she does the reenactment for the fire drill thing. Oh, that is her, yes. But so, it is so distracting, yeah, this fake mod. So briefly, while she's alive in these yeah. these final episodes, <laughs> she's voiced by Marsha Mitz, Mitzman Gavin. Mitzman Gavin, yeah. Uh, and I well, also all this funereal stuff with a fake mod, it only makes me think more of Maud's incoming death at this point. Oh, actually, oh. so uh, <laughs> sorry, Jason. In case you're wondering, I forgot how... about it's so odd. Yeah, a lot of grim death stuff, like like very like kooky, but also sad death stuff connecting that and this. Apparently, she and Maggie Roswell both voice Maud in that Brothers Little Helper episode. Oh, but this okay. is the first one where it's just her. It's fully her. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I I knew she did her. It, I only think of the bad Maud lines in there, but that's even more distracting. The Maud has like two voices in the same episode. Just just re-record the Maggie Roswell stuff if you're going to replace her. And she does Miss Hoover like twice uh, before yeah. Roswell comes back. 
It's uh, in Helen Lovejoy, I think, too, right? Yes. Yep. Late night fog walks is a good turn of phrase. That's a very Simpsons turn of phrase. I love that phrase. I like yeah. that a lot. <laughs> I've, I've been going on morning fog walks these days. I've been pushing myself to uh, so as to not just stay indoors all the time. Early in the morning, I'll put on my mask and go through a, a very contactless <laughs> and at a distance walk from people. But are you making record time? Uh, you know, not not every day, but uh, it's a, it's a it's a challenge uh, that uh, you get better at over time. Uh, yeah, Mike and I were were kind of anxiously noting recently, like people in L.A. getting a little too comfy taking the walks without the masks. Like, oh, that's I bad. Think, I think people keep going back and forth on like you need them inside, outside. You don't need them outside. But like, oh, let's just all stick to wearing them. Let's just try that for a little while, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in California. We're supposed to be better. We have to lead by example on this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, all the sound effects on Ned's corpse, very funny. Uh, and I'd say Homer is only 10% meaner than he is in a normal season 11 episode here. I guess dumping the dead husband into the wife's doorstep is uh, a step a step above his normal meanness. Though he would hear a person scream in pain and then just walk away, wipe his hands of the whole thing. That's definitely a season 11 Homer move. And he's using the, the catchphrase from police cops. Oh, yes, you're right. He's just pulling it from police cops. Doesn't even do like the fake like twirl of the scarf i think he does maneuver yeah, yeah. <laughs> what season was that one uh, just the previous one yeah it's the previous one okay. yeah uh i guess yeah just uh just a few like five months six months earlier in 1999 i think it aired i believe it was an april 99 episode not that far removed but i can't tell if it is just in the writer's room they like saying that phrase so they put it in homer's mouth again or they did a specific reference to Homer saying that from police cops. Yeah, it feels like a very soon callback on the on the Simpsons timeline of the late 90s. Wait, yeah, it feels too back patty for them in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Different from how Gil would come back all the time. That wasn't them celebrating like, aren't we funny for making up Gil? Like they, they just thought Gil is funny and Dan is very funny as him. But uh, in that case, just referencing yourselves, that, that doesn't feel like what the Scully team would do right so we head to the funeral and the simpsons are all smiles try not to look too sad <laughs> it'll seem suspicious and now ned's best friend will <laughs> say a few words homer <clears throat> when i think about ned i can't help but remember the look on his face when marge drove over <laughs> shut up shut up shut up oh wait <laughs> what i'd like to say is we're still looking for the real killers. Anyway, in conclusion, a man cannot be forced to testify against his wife. Stop winking. <laughs> we'll miss you, buddy. <laughs> hey, we just got away with murder, and it was so easy. You know, I've never liked that little wiener millhouse. No more murders. But you got to kill me. No. <laughs> <gasps> Someone saw us. It's very visual, but the pan across the neighborhood uh, ending with Homer pointing at Marge <laughs> <laughs> it always really makes great. me laugh. That's really great. Yeah. 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 
it's such a long pan too. It's really impressive. In, in the just the first act, there's like two really long pans. Like again, the animation team really did a great job on this one. And uh, I always love hearing Homer describe Millhouse as a little wiener. That's always <laughs> great. And but they they say on the commentary they're like, we thought it was dated in 1999 to do a real killers joke, but they're still, he's still looking for those real yeah, killers. It's, it's never dated because they won't be found. You know that? O- I mean that OJ Doc that uh, it, it pretty much spells it out. The 10 hour OJ doc that's a good one uh also i remember a whole episode of sopranos poking a hole in the theory that a, a wife can a spouse can't be compelled to uh testify like that that's not true i know there was a joke about that made in arrested development oh uh, okay maybe i'm maybe i'm misconstruing <laughs> it no i i watched the sopranos uh, i finished it like a year ago um but i i believe that is a thing christopher and adriana like very wholeheartedly believe until the end of the episode when either a lawyer or the fbi is like that's not true that's not right <laughs> oh, that, yeah that's right i think i think adriana goes to a pro bono guy who's just like explains to her what a rico case is and how he she can be compelled yeah uh, i just remember from uh rest of development uh, it's uh, jeffrey tambor is telling um jason bateman like uh he's very smug like a wife can't testify against her husband in court and jason bateman's like that's not true and he's like i got the worst fucking lawyers <laughs> that, that's a good joke yeah that's a good i don't want to celebrate Je- jeffrey tambor hey, he was playing much, a character we can all appreciate a, fun- <laughs> a monster like george bluth and not the monster of jeffrey tambor it's <laughs> true sure <laughs> okay here's that timeline again for you oh, guys no. all right so ned is resurrected then a eh? well seemingly the simpsons are driving home from a funeral that just ended so did they just bury ned and then ned instantly <laughs> dug himself up from the grave yes that's when the werewolf curse happened in the daytime and then he wrote on the door it I'm takes a while know. it like, takes a while uh i listen <laughs> they pulled this werewolf thing out of their ass because in the original there was going to be a confrontation at spooky roller disco with grandpa they, being the killer i think the rewrite was a mistake because it'll this it, the logic the mystery it doesn't <laughs> makes sense i and it annoys me i'm sorry uh but the timeline on it doesn't work doesn't work he would have had to dug himself out of the grave instantly the second he was buried what if he waited uh, no because the simpsons are driving home from the funeral it's over mm. like unless they unless it took them eight a, a full day to drive back from the funeral that we you would assume happened in springfield i <laughs> think Maud uh was in on it okay she's the one who wrote all, all over right. their walls i'll buy that sorry jason i'm subjecting you to a lot of uh bullshit no that's okay uh yeah the werewolf stuff doesn't make uh a ton of sense the werewolf this is what the comedy the comedy term hat on a hat where it's like well werewolf rules and i know what you did last summer rule like it's too much I think you're not supposed to look back at the evidence before the werewolf reveal (laughs) I think you're just gonna be like oh what a fun twist a werewolf well on to the next (laughs) one Yeah, I think uh, I think too. It is almost intentionally bad because, as as a joke, that it's a bad twist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it does not land like some other Simpsons non sequiturs land. Like the oh no, here comes that gas that turns everyone inside out is still <laughs> so funny to me. I love that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then the Simpsons go in and they're waiting for a phone call. They get a a threatening phone call from Mo that he seemed to uh, meant for Maud, which <laughs> they bring up on the commentary. Like, why does Maud? Why does Mo think Homer is Maud when he answers with the yellow? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. But uh, see, they're picking it apart just as much as me it's on this true. commentary. It's true. So yeah. And uh, then there's a great the great reveal of the 
a huge turnaround of seeing like I still know, I still know. But yeah, that's a great like uh, in camera animation of the couch like rotating. You see all the walls, almost similar to the the shinning. Yeah, it's kind scene. of it's stolen from themselves on the shinning. Honestly, it's a cool piece of animation though. And now I think about just the line weight of that shot, like all the lines of all the words on the wall spinning around, and then it cuts to the guy who looks like the fisherman who is the killer from the What You Did series. Okay, it fits that it's Ned because the person who is the killer in those movies is the guy they hit with a car mm-hmm. as well. So it does fit in that regard. And uh, we're also thinking of the line weight as the Simpsons run from the guy uh, chasing after them. They then get in their car, which also has I Still Know written all over it. And I think about how hard it was for the animators to draw a car moving that's covered in writing. Yeah, it's a big challenge. Which uh, yeah. easy to write down on a script, not so easy to draw. It's not our modern CGI cars <laughs> that come with writing pre-installed. It's uh, it's it now is so distracting to me. Every every even 2D show like the DC Universe Harley Quinn show, which I think is a good show, uh, but every car is to is a 3D element, which is just it's it seems like an easy time saver because cars are hard to draw. Yeah, where where do you watch that show? Where is that show? <laughs> uh, well, you have to sign up for DC Universe Online. Oh, as a it's separate, one of, okay, yeah. yeah, but it's good. or go to thepiratebay.org. I mean, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> Uh, though, hey, at the time you're listening to this, maybe it's also on HBO Max? I don't know. It seems weird. Yeah, I would think a lot of that stuff gets shuttled over there. Teen it, Titans. It seems weird that, that Warner would expect you to subscribe to $15 HBO Max and $8 DC Universe at the same time. Yeah, I mean, they got a much later start because DC Universe gives you some of the comics archives too, right? That is, yeah, I actually do like that. It's pretty cool. I like that, but they're years behind Marvel Unlimited. Like, I don't have it now, but even a few years ago, Marvel Unlimited was pretty solid. A little buggy, but (laughs) pretty substantial. So uh, the car breaks down, and uh, they've got their own plans of how to escape. (gasps) Okay, Marge, you hide in the abandoned amusement park. Lisa the Pet Cemetery. Bart, spooky roller disco. (laughs) And I'll go skinny dipping in that lake where the sexy teens were killed a hundred years ago tonight. (laughs) Now, Flanders, I want you to... It's impossible. I killed you. You can't kill the undead, silly. He's undead, all right. Are you a zombie? Oh, I wish. You see, that night when you hit me with your car... I'm making record time on this fog walk. Better pick up the pace. Great little strut on Ned. I love that sort of effeminate strut he's got with his like shoulders out. That's how I like to or, walk. Like his elbows yeah. out. <laughs> Just yeah. A- proud fog walker it also the the joke pacing of that i always forget that homer has a fourth joke because you know it should be uh you name two things and then spooky roller disco is the last thing you say but then homer has a fourth thing of like i'm gonna go skinny dipping in that uh pool and the teens were killed in 1899 and there's police tape there still (laughs) a lot of skinny dipping for 1899 yeah and realistic police tape uh but the spooky roller i i wish we had an ending where abe confronts them at the spooky roller disco it's true i want to know let's let's email donna carey and uh, <laughs> I, I want to ask him about so many things. Uh, but yeah, they also, they poke Ned's eye through his glasses. Another, you know, that wizard really. Maybe the frame here. fell out when he was being buried. Sure. Okay. Well, so now this Ned <laughs> was buried then. Hey, I didn't, I never said he wasn't. Okay. <laughs> 
I and when he says you can't kill the undead again, I'm going by White Wolf uh, tabletop role playing. Oh, game that doesn't apply here. to all reality. All but werewolves everywhere. Werewolves aren't undead though. I don't. You can kill a werewolf. They're the not, thing is, <laughs> werewolves are fictional, so you can just do whatever you want with them, and it's fine. Fine, fine. <laughs> Uh, I think, are you just warming up for the, to set up the uh, Professor Frink question to Lucy Law? <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm playing a character here with being annoyed at yeah. this. I mean, it's just, it's all a character. Uh, sure. <laughs> and yes, Ned's clothes are torn apart when he's hit by the car in the flashback, but I like that at least you can hear Homer uh, repeat his, is I forgot to put the fog lights in. And uh, yeah, Homer, in this last bit here, Homer gets murdered. Just as, It's just a very long bit of just Homer dying. <laughs> Guess I forgot to put the fog lights in. I better pull over and play it safe. So you were gonna kill us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tommy, I want the news, not the weather. <laughs> Mars, did you hear me sing Werewolf Flanders? Deadly! Flanders! Stop that! Eyes bigger than your stomach, eh, Wolfie? <laughs> 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 a lot of things they don't have to animate <laughs> yes yeah good homer screams though great delivery on that flanders yeah line yeah yeah that is good i like yeah there's a lot of funny stuff in this even if it doesn't make uh, full sense but i i like just how long they're like you know for 30 seconds you're just gonna watch homer be chased by a werewolf and then he'll die like that they uh, they spend a lot of time with that and uh, i also like that homer homer does the sitcom thing of like doing a joke and his family's like we're not standing around <laughs> for a joke we're running they just leave him for dead yeah yeah i want the news not the weather classic <laughs> being spit upon joke uh but yes i uh that that's the end of the first one they they even point out it's adr lines on the commentary like well we we indulged a lot there and he, it's easy to fill some time with that uh but now we go on to the comic book one uh which like yes jason i wanted another fellow comic book nerd on here to uh, to silence bob and we <laughs> can just talk about comic books yeah my my big thing with this segment is that um, it's it's very funny to look back on because this this is pre every other movie in theaters being superhero movies. But like twenty years later, these these jokes feel very packed to me. Like even in ninety nine, some of the nerd stuff was like, all right, we get it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we I, we're a few years past like the comics bubble, uh, uh, the boom and bust. And, like, a lot of comic shops closing and, like, um, Marvel and DC kind of shrinking their lines down. And I feel like even just Simpsons alone with Comic Book Guy, like, had done so many of these kinds of jokes. Yeah, it's different. It's so different 20 years later. We just did an episode of uh, Mission Hill for a Talking Mission Hill miniseries. And it was also a Fall of 99 episode. And it also was like, can you believe they're talking about Star Wars on TV? Like, that (laughs) was such a novelty in 1999. Now we just, that's what entertainment is for everybody now. It's no longer niche. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah, there's this um, uh, very cringy chunk of Chris Hardwick stand up where he's like, I'm a nerd. I like nerd stuff. I like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. And I just complain. So it's like, yeah, I love those billion dollar entities. (laughs) Like I love those hard to track down. 
those books you can find in like any church thrift store. <laughs> you can find a million copies of them now. <laughs> well, you can't argue with Hardwick's delivery of like, what's up, nerds? Oh, uh, so funny. So oh, funny. so great. What um, a great guy. Yeah, a nice guy. Ask, uh, on on the Mission Hill, how how often does the name Dan Klaus come up? Oh, uh, he is not mentioned, probably because they don't want him to know. Yeah. Uh, they're oh, kind okay. of borrowing his look a little bit. Me and Bob mentioned no, him I a meant few times. I meant on your guys' Mission Hill. We, we've brought him up a few times, yeah, but yeah. also Peter yeah. Bag, like he also got ripped off Peter pretty Bag, bad. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, this, this sure. segment called Desperately Seeking Xena. I don't know if the, the Zoomers need to be clued into this. Xena, Warrior Princess, very popular syndicated series from 95 to 2001. I think it was popular for the same reasons Baywatch was popular. Pornography hard to access <laughs> in the 90s. But also, it told some cool fantasy stories. And there was like a lesbian angle that they couldn't really delve too deeply into on the show, mm. but they could hint at that was tantalizing for men and women. And uh, my theory about this was, and I was talking uh, about it with Henry before the recording, is that they did not get the permission of the Xena people. So this is Luli Lawless. She has to say that she isn't Xena and they can't ever say Xena Warrior Princess or like that show from TV. They yeah. never mention her TV show. So I think Lucy Lawless can do this on her own and they can dress up her as the character, but they can't say this is Xena from the Xena Warrior Princess TV show. And just parody law covers their asses in, in a way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's so funny, those um, syndicated shows. I feel like in I remember references to them more more than the actual shows like Hercules and Xena, Baywatch, these sorts of things. And it was just because there was just less stuff back then. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, a geeky, mystical, a show about uh, nerdy mythology that also had like a continuing story arc or it'd be, you know, it wasn't episode. Well, it was kind of episodic, but I, I was a, I actually was a regular Hercules Xena viewer. And, I was for a time. And they would call back back to stuff in ways that a lot of shows wouldn't so they definitely appeal to nerds and yes like like jason said things have changed so much in 20 years that you have so many choices for nerd content that xena and hercules would just be lost in the pack right now if they debuted yeah for sure and um, you also had a nerd culture that was just like uh uh <laughs> kind of a, a boys club kind of misogynistic not necessarily now where it is misogynistic and like i'm going to murder you with a gun <laughs> that's um, very true <laughs> there's more meek the nerds are bad in this the in male and chauvinistic but they're written as more meek than uh than outright violence like a potential massacre yes yeah doer <laughs> i guess yeah. they, i guess they wrote the, this came out after but this was written before uh, Columbine as well. So you, you, you're missing that aspect of it. Those kids weren't oh, even nerds. Sure. <laughs> you're uh, taking away the nerd crit of, the, of these murderers? Yes, uh, they were not true nerds. But yeah, I don't want to spoil this for anybody, <laughs> but uh, Lucy Lawless, awesome name, right? Yeah. For Lucy Ryan. Yeah. Oh, you're ruining the magic, Bob. So her, her name truly is Lawless. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, so I was a big viewer of it because I liked the shows and I liked dorky shows, uh, but also because I had just gotten into Evil Dead. One of my best friends like loved the Evil Dead movies, loved Ash a ton. And here we find out that Bruce Campbell is a regular appearing character on Xena and Hercules because Sam Raimi is like an executive producer on it. Ted Raimi is like a glorified regular on Xena and Hercules as well. And he's a good actor. I don't want to speak ill of Ted Raimi and just say he got the job because he's related to Sam Raimi. But but I mean, that's why he's in every Spider-Man movie also. Huh. 
Wasn't uh, there another show? Wasn't there like a squash buckling show that Bruce Campbell was on? Uh, I believe it was like Master of Adventure or mm. the, the something like that. Yeah. yeah, he tried to make Briscoe County Junior work, but oh, uh, good right. I yeah. love that show. It was like it was a western show meets Twin Peaks. Like it, Lord Boyle on the show who was uh, shown up in the Last Dragon. He fucking ruled. Like that was I. You see, now I'm just falling down the this type of show rabbit hole. Like I watched a lot of Baywatch, even though. I was not watching it for prurient interests like, <laughs> like you guys. <laughs> but you're, sure. learn, you're watching it to learn about ocean safety. Yes, yeah. This also really captures a certain, you know, it's Batman 66, but it also really captures the kind of like bad superhero cartoons of the 70s and early 80s, like especially Super Friends. But uh, I don't know how intentionally they made it that way, but it really reminds me of Spider-Man and his amazing friends too, hmm. the kind of pacing of it. Yeah, I like that show. I mean, I would dig at video stores and like a lot of those were released three or four episodes at a time in no particular order on vhs and i would find those oddities every now and then yeah good times i watched the i had my tape i owned a tape that had the x-men crossover episode from spider-man and his amazing friends and watched it a million times oh yeah i mean (laughs) and the x-men pilot like that i always got from blockbuster the the x-men pilot which they did not make a series out of, but they made an incredibly popular arcade cabinet video game out of. Oh, yeah. Me and Bob did a full uh, commentary for that for on our Patreon. Check it's it out. Pride of the X-Men, right? Yes. yeah. Pride of the X-Men. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Before I play the first clip, though, I have one more axe to grind. And that is Tim Long on the commentary says a shitty thing, uh, which is he says that uh, a lot of, quote, bad Simpsons comics came out of this sketch. And uh, he is very negative towards the Simpsons comic books, the official Simpsons comic books, which I think that is a mean shot. And I think the... I think those com- well, I guess we're friends with people who worked on Simpsons comics, yes, I should say. We take it personally. But I think they were doing good stuff at Bongo. Like, was every comic good? Maybe not. But if you are a Simpson writer like Tim Long, who has worked on Simpsons seasons 10 through 31, maybe you live in a glass house and you don't want to throw stones at Bongo comics. I can see that argument. You know? Yeah. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. There's some problematic stuff on this commentary. Uh, Matt Sullivan <laughs> says the R word. And I was like, he, ooh, this is 2009. He really does. He says the... Not the r-e-t-a-r-d well now now you ruined it now you practically said it (laughs) and we're gonna get canceled no i just wanted people to know it wasn't the word for sexual assault there you go that's (sighs) all but yes it's why do we hear a superhero it's i'm sorry i mean to tim long there but because this is a good scene i this is my favorite of the of the three uh segments so why do we hear the superhero origin well 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 if it isn't the cutest police officer in Springfield. Hey, you know, we got feelings too, Chief. Just dump your candy on the x-ray belt, Ralphie. There's a good boy. Safe. Safe. Razor blade. Syringe. Oh, white chocolate. Jack it out, Lisa. I'm Radioactive Man. I don't think the real Radioactive Man wears a plastic smock with a picture of himself on it. He would on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Get in there, you stupid pillowcase! Stop it! You'll jam the machine! Uh oh! Radiation! Duck and cover! Oh my god! Lisa! She's been crushed, and so have the hopes of our mathletics team. Hold the funeral, Poindexter! Poindexter? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's that's a great joke. I, yeah. he's, he's not he's not amazed that uh, she's alive. He's disgusted. He was called Poindexter. Poindexter. The uh, I, my favorite joke in the whole episode is the joke about those terrible costumes. Yeah, that's good. Uh, well observed, like 60s, 70s Halloween costume humor. When I in in the late 80s, when I would shop for costumes at like Walmart or whatever, I still would see those. Oh, they still had like, like I I it was the Hulk. I specifically remember just a Hulk plastic smock with a mask. I guess you don't have to explain your costume that way if like the logo <laughs> for the characters on the front i guess so yeah. yeah yeah seeing this scene of the candy being x-rayed back when i was 17 gave me my real first like snowflake moment like look at these snowflakes because <laughs> that was happening kids are getting their candies x-rayed on halloween for looking for things like that but really if you're gonna get poisoned on halloween it's one of your family members is gonna do it exactly. just like every other sort of harm you can that can befall you as a child it's a family member or a mm-hmm. friend i think there's like only a few documented cases of this kind of tampering and it was always like a relative it it ruined halloween candy for like 20 years it's probably worse to irradiate your halloween candy (laughs) like modern treehouse of horror episodes like when they want to do something topical like do they do the act do they do like munchausen by like uh, lisa and march do a munchausen by proxy (laughs) storyline uh well they did do a storyline where homer ate himself and that's uh, a truly horrifying one it was disgusting if uh, if you want to see what has to be the grossest and most unsettling Treehouse of Horror, watch that one. Yeah, but I, they were going to hit body horror eventually. Yeah, and it's not a direct parody of anything. It's just horrifying. The risk uh, now in uh, hippy dippy California is what if they put weed gummies in uh, your child's yeah. bag? You know what? Those cost like sixteen bucks for ten of <laughs> yeah. them. Uh, if you're gonna prank uh, the world by getting children high, that's that's. I mean, it's that's not worth the cost. I I agree. You're not gonna but... see them get high. <laughs> uh, though I mean, kids buy prepackaged candy so much now. Like you, you, they're not gonna eat a cheap thing anyway, aren't they? I don't know. It. Uh, I think it's. I think it's overdone. Uh, also, seeing Ralph in his cop outfit sat, stood in front of Eddie reminds me of that uh, fan oh, theory that Eddie about nine is... eleven. No, <laughs> that Eddie is Ralph's da- real. Uh, uh, because okay. they look so similar with their string hair, especially in cop uniforms. And Nelson is Barney's son. We we understand that. Absolutely is true. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Bart and Lisa, like I also like they're told to duck and cover, which actually does save every other child from being irradiated. <laughs> like it actually works, the duck and cover thing. Yeah, really. And uh, Bart and Lisa then get the powers of uh, Bart becomes Mister Fantastic and. Lisa the thing basically especially I mean she could be any strong character but the fact they call her clobber girl feels like a Ben Grimm reference okay I thought he was more like plastic man I guess he kind of yeah. maybe he's more into yeah okay Jason is he more Reed or plastic man I think plastic man it does it seems to have more fun like usually a little more horrific i think the eyes the stretching eyes seems more plastic hmm. man to me yeah, that's yeah. True. i mean i'm not a superhero guy but uh plastic man everyone always told me the comic folks i knew like man he is so funny this guy's the most hilarious <laughs> character ever and then i would try to read some of this up like this is all right i guess i'm not like falling over and crying <laughs> with these plastic antics man, yeah. yeah again comedy and comics is very strange um i guess 
guess the Kyle Baker ones. Yeah, oh, Kyle yeah, Baker. Those are good. Those are yeah. good, yeah. Pretty funny guy, yeah. At this time in the comics, Plastic Man was a member of the Justice League of America, and they were doing some jokes about how he's actually more serious than he thinks, and it's actually all an act. Yeah, I this that would have been like the Grant Morrison Justice League, right? Well, there's when, some yeah. weird humor in that. Like, there's some weird moments in that. Well, and then when Wade took over, they did a whole thing where he, like, got frozen and shattered, and then he's, like, kind of fucked up about it. Oh, God. <laughs> it's uh, it's weird. It's He's like, I can't I can't forgive the person who did this. It, it took him a while to recover. This happened around the same time. They're a few years apart. This reminded me of the Futurama superheroes episode where yeah. Leela is Clobberella. Uh, I think uh, Clobber Girl is a funnier uh, pun name because it's a parody of the baking powder Clabber Girl. Oh, I didn't know that. I really? Would, yeah, I would yeah. see that in my grandma's like uh, cabin all the time. <laughs> so I immediately got the pun. But yeah, Clabber Girl is a kind of baking powder. So Holy shit. Yeah, it's a, it's a smarter pun than Clobberella, but it's not as funny as Super King. <laughs> Super. Oh, yeah. The, this is basically that. Yeah. The Futurama kind of ripped this off, even with yeah. the theme song and everything. Too. I, I love both of them now. They're both perfect. Captain yeah. Yesterday is fast. Also, he is from the past. <laughs> <laughs> Clabber Girl, I didn't know that was a parody. I didn't look into it because Stretch Dude is just such like a name Bart would make up that I didn't yeah. even think to investigate that the other one could be a parody. And uh, then we get uh, a fun theme song, which I'll just cut in here. Bart, with these powers, we can become superheroes. Okay, so do it already. Stretch dude and Clobber Girl. He's a human rubber band and she's a honking pearl. He's a limber lass. She's a powerful ass. He'll rain your neck and she'll kick your ass. There's Stretch dude and Clobber Girl. Stretch dude, Clobber Girl. Tonight's episode, Enter the Collector. And uh, in the theme song, I like that Lisa punches that gangster and he explodes. <laughs> that's that's my favorite theme and song. And Bill Clinton gets assaulted. Yes, yeah. It uh, was time. He, you know, he deserved it. And looking back on it, I at first didn't like that. Now I think he needed to be shaken a bit harder. That's what gave him his heart condition. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. And, and gave him all that pressure that made him cheat, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, also the title card uh, of them and their poses, like it's such a Kirby pose too. Like especially Bart's like kind of reach forward like i think the animators at least were really pulling specifics from the uh from comics there. and that's a real like hanna barbera title card very much yeah. so yeah 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 which uh, also seeing the collector which they joke about it on the commentary they did not mean for it but there is a sim there is a classic marvel character called the collector who did these things who would it was unknown in 1999 now you can see him on a ride and in films played by benicio del toro tim long yeah that's wild not a comics fan, not a Bongo comics fan, but uh, didn't know about Collector. <laughs> Isn't that, again, uh, Jason, it's it's just so crazy to like, I really like the Guardians ride, even though it's honestly almost a little too strong for me, but I brave it for the Marvelness of it. But then to be in there and be like, wow, I'm just in the Collector's place. I never, I was reading like Thanos Quest in 1992 and never thought I'd see this in, in real life. Is, is the Collector like in canon, isn't he a, isn't he purple? <laughs> Like, wasn't he a purple dude? Well, yeah, but I mean, so I yeah. I Well, also, like, Jeff Goldblum's character, the Game Master, like, he's he's a blue guy, so... Yeah. They, they kind of just drop any 
blue uh, skin color stuff unless you're uh in uh, thanos or one of his contemporaries i think that's true yeah i i think that's one of the weird things about mcu is they i i really like their character designs and adaptations in most cases but a, a lot of color can be removed over time for sure the they also beat up saddam hussein to really uh date things but uh, uh how are they to know we'd be invading them in like th- uh, three years Four years, four years after this. Uh, so then we get to our big guest star of the episode, or I guess one of them, Lucy Lawless. But I'm sure that once girls get to know the real you, you'll get plenty of dates. Next question. Yes, over here. Right. In episode BF12, you were battling barbarians while riding a winged Appaloosa. Yet in the very next scene, my dear, you're clearly atop a winged Arabian. Please to explain it. Ah, yeah. Well, whenever you notice something like that, a wizard did it. I see. All right, yes. But in episode AG4... Wizard. Ah, for glaving out loud. Behold, I am the Collector, and I'm here to add you to my collection. (laughs) Must remove my breastplate. Maybe later. Is this the first time that comic book guy gets a story? Hmm. Yeah, I guess. I think so. it is. Not yeah. just a joke. So yeah. they're really. This is his moment to shine. <laughs> He'll get like entire episodes in the future. Pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. This is his first like major role since uh, really three men in a comic book. I think. I feel like I've been to a lot of Comic Con panels uh, and Comic Con sorts of panels. I honestly have never seen that kind of like deep continuity question. I've seen a lot of guys make statements that they think are questions, but are just statements. Yes. Yeah, I have seen that. I would kill at all the panels I've been to. I would kill for somebody to ask a good question at one of those things. I would I would want to just yell at everybody who's in line, like, <laughs> while you're waiting in line, pull out, your, pull out your phone and Google that question. And if it's been answered... Don't ask that. Yeah, for sure. I the breastplate joke that that feels real to me because I mean there's been a, a long running discussion in the like comics world of like hey uh, at conventions when you're walking around you see people in cosplay um, don't be a creep. Yeah, you know, ask permission for photos. Like, don't don't ogle. Don't be a maniac. Yeah, don't don't sneak pics or try to like. Or also, this definitely feels like uh, in the realm of the very late '90s internet phenomenon of like celebrity skin or like nip slips mm-hmm. and all that too. In oh, which, that's true. Which yeah. uh, what a gross time in uh, American culture as Ooh, well. The phrase nip slip. Yes. yes uh, yeah. We do see Gary and I think Doug the nerds. That's what I love. That yeah. So the wizard did it. It is pretty much just the genius at work xylophone gag previously seen in the Poochie thing, but uh, it's a funnier encapsulation. Of, well, it's a more mimetic interpretation of it because you can say a wizard did it just to, to explain any of this stuff. I think that picture of Gary and Doug next to each other are just us. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's a caricature no, of us. Just us. I, you're right. You're right. And we would nod like that too if someone was asking uh, a yes. question like, "Yeah, that's right." It'd be about you're Dragon right. Ball, I think. <laughs> Though, actually, talking about these. questions 
questions. I did ask a question like this at a Comic-Con panel at least once, I can recall, which was uh, I asked Dan Slott, the writer of uh, The Amazing Spider-Man at the time, uh, who now knew Spider-Man's secret identity because it had gone back to nobody knows it, and now he's starting to unmask all the time. So are we to believe that even Jessica Jones' daughter (laughs) knows Spider-Man's secret identity? Were you removed from the building? Uh, No, I was given a... uh, a, a slight answer that's like yeah look people know secret identity now it's how it is like that's uh dan slot was very nice and understanding of my question <laughs> i have read very few like you know uh please put this aside for me like spider-man comics i think i read like there were some anthologies or some some uh like older throwback ones but the month-to-month spider-man stories are just so impenetrable to me the spider-man family like i like i think every like major like avenger spider-man batman superman x-men there should be one title that's like here's here's the gist of it you know here's this is when someone walks in across the street here's a one-and-done comic or like a two-parter comic that you can hand to anyone and they it is amazing that these companies these publishers that are now owned by massive media corporations are so bad at that most of the time yeah i mean that's why japanese comics got so popular in america it's like okay i want to read this i'll start with the book that's labeled one and then i'll read (laughs) the next 19 and i'll be done and then i'll read another book well, if I may counter that, guys, if uh, Spider-Man comics weren't impenetrable, then they wouldn't appeal to people like me who've read 2,000 Spider-Man comics. You can, you can decipher them. Yeah. Uh. So so think about which audience you want. Um, uh, countless people who aren't like me or the 80,000 people who are like me. I, uh, it may also be like whatever family of books first hooked you. Like, I'll give any excuse under the sun for X-Men comics. Yeah. And for, to some extent for Batman comics. But yes, yeah, Spider-Man, I I think maybe it just becomes, it, it will always come back to Spider-Man wins the day, but Peter Parker has to suffer. And like, <laughs> I can only take so much of that. Bummed you out too much? I, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, but though, I got to say, an X-Men fan calling Spider-Man comics impenetrable, like, you know, X-Men comics are pretty tough. Well, that's true. But they were just so, you could just like throw a rock and hit them in the 90s. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ooh, there's another one. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so Lucy Lawless kidnapped. She is then offered a Rolo. Here for a Rolo? Sweet Xena. All right, Collector, stick this in your tweezers. I'm not Xena. I'm an actress, you lunatic. Oh, please, I'm not insane. I simply wish to take you back to my lair and make you my bride. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Clapper Girl? Thank you. Help! It's Xena. She's been kidnapped. Come on. Remember, you're vulnerable to kryptonite. Jeez, Marge, tell the neighborhood. Why would they be vulnerable to kryptonite, which only affects people from the planet Krypton? Uh, There's some things you don't know about Bart and Lisa Henry. Uh, Mysterious things. Yeah, for crying out. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I just remembered uh, listening to that clip. It's like, oh yeah, twice in this episode, she's like, I am not Xena, the licensed character. (laughs) I forgot she said that earlier in it, yes. And I have to say that Lucy Lawless took a much different route than uh, 
Kevin Sorbo, notable like direct-to-video Christian movie crank. Yep. She's like an activist for Greenpeace. She's pretty great. Yeah. And and she was just on that new uh the new Evil Dead show they did. And she's uh she's really good. I like her. I don't think I have yet to hear a bad thing about Lucy Lawless. Was she the love interest for Ron Swanson too on Parks and Rec? Yep. Yep. Yeah, he okay. married her. Yeah. Uh, I don't return to that show too much, but yeah, she was really good in that. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. Lawless is not is not is not a made up name. It's the name of the man who got her pregnant at nineteen when they had like a young like shotgun wedding or whatever. Oh, so okay. uh, she stole wow. his name, just like how Susan Sarandon stole Chris Sarandon's name. Uh, and they both got way more famous than their loser first husband, mm-hmm. Jack Skellington. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to be mean to Chris Sarandon here, but uh, uh, Rolo, I am uh, I'm a pro Rolo man. I like. I like a roll i've been a roll on like 15 years yeah really you're missing out it's caramel it's like a little d- disc of like caramel and chocolate it's a wheel of caramel mm, it can okay. be, uh sometimes you get a chalky bit of chocolate not yeah not the best i've moved beyond that chocolate <laughs> i need like 80 percent dark chocolate oh you and your dark chocolate yeah you, mm. wiggum likes the white chocolate here you would Ugh, you would hate that disgusting. uh yeah i i mostly think of there's an early Tim and Eric. Oh yeah. Rollo Tony Brown town. Rollo Tony Brown town. Um, where they were trying to pitch that as a song and then they make it a song. Um, I feel like that's a good choice for like a comic book guy to like, because those like get gooey and melty very easily. (laughs) It's also fun to, for him to say Rolo. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently Tim Long says they were just eating a lot of Rolo at the time too in their in their treat room at the I bet they got sent a lot of Rolo. <laughs> for the for mentioning it, they better get some free Rolos for bringing it up. They normally just were chomping down on butterfingers, all the free butterfingers they got sent. So everybody gets uh kept in a mylar pouch in the uh the base of uh the collector, which is apparently beneath the comic book guy store. They don't fully make that clear, but uh, uh, but I do like he calls her, uh, he's totally a, he mentioned Stanley later, he is totally a classic Marvel villain with his, you know, many uh, alliterative threats, calling her a syndicated sweetie. Hmm. There's a real diss against Stanley before he became like the beloved grandpa of movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, in 1999, it's not like you didn't know who Stanley was, but it to hear Stanley's name said on a TV show was a surprise for me to hear. Yeah, uh, I mean, you gotta think this is before the like that first wave that like the X-Men movie kicked off. Like, I think there is a 10-year or so, nine-year block of, like, X-Men to Iron Man and uh, Batman. Um, oh, God, what's it called? The Dark Knight. Um, and then from there, it's, like, Iron Man to Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. where it just, like, heightens so much. Yeah, the, the summer after this airs is when the first X-Men film is released. So that that pretty much gets the ball rolling. And then, like, two years later, Spider-Man. Yeah. Yes, and uh, this is a few months after episode one came out. Mm-hmm. If you had uh, seen Mallrats, though, you would know who Stanley was and how he true. lied to Jason Lee, unrelated. <laughs> Stan Lee lie? No, that's that's an You know, in a wizard did it kind of way too. That scene pissed me off because he names an issue of Spider Man that does not exist, and I'm like, Kevin Smith can reference a real issue of Spider Man and not make up a fake one about the vulture interrupting a date. Just uh, I, uh, uh, more reasons to get mad at Tim Long. Yes, <laughs> well, I can't. That's a Kevin Smith one. I can. Bl- uh, okay. I can't blame him for that. Though it's kind of dickish of Collector to call Lucy Lawless near mint. That's uh, that's a mean mm. thing. 
speaking. It's because uh, she's been soiled by another man. Ugh, We're getting yes. into incel territory. Well, I mean, that is what the collector is. They're making jokes about kidnapping a woman to make her your bride, but there's darker intent here in in the what the collector wants to do. Bart and Lisa arrives. They bust in. They are then zapped with the only functioning phaser, which leads to kind of a lame joke about William Shatner singing badly. I like. I don't know. I felt by '99 that was played out. I think society was learning about his Rocket Man performance at that time. It was no longer like a, a tape trading thing where you had to be there to see it and you, like you had to see the tape getting passed okay. around. I uh, mean, Family Guy yeah. would do a similar joke with Stewie where they just did the entire scene just in like the, whole song. the year yeah. 2000. So yeah, and then a few years later we get the uh, Ben Folds produced uh, William Shatner album. Oh right, wow, where I... he does Common People. <laughs> That's oh my god! They, uh, to see somebody should have used that phaser used on Ben Folds. The uh, the kids get captured. It's funny that they are constantly dodging the phasers, barred in such fun ways with stretchiness. But then when he collector throws the gun at him, it just smacks him in the head, and he's on uh, he's unconscious. That, that was a good joke. But yes, the the kids are about to die. Good night, wretch dude and slobber girl. Sweet screams. Ha ha ha! I'm unbelievably amused. Soon those bratty buttonskis will be encased in lucite for all eternity. While we're waiting, here are some names you may call me on our wedding night. <clears throat> Obi-Wan, Iron Man, Mr. Mixes Pitlick, and of course, Big Papa Smurf. What do you need me for? You could have your choice of any of the women in these bags. You would think so, but no. Really? Well, I mean, maybe we are meant for each other. Growing up, I was always tall for my age, and the other kids made fun of me. I, I always hoped for another misunderstood soul to share my pain. You could be that soul, Collector. Ooh. Come here, you. Xena needs Zex. <laughs> And uh, the pummeling begins at that point. Yeah, she grabs him. I like grabbing him by the lips and punching him in the head over and over. That's, yeah. That's really good. <laughs> and also, apparently, this is not Xena. It's Lucy Lawless. But she walks around talking in an American accent. Oh, hey, She's yeah. not talking her New Zealand accent That's at right. any point, even when not being filmed. <laughs> Uh, I, I I didn't even think of that. That's uh, that's a real plot hole too. So we had Mel Gibson in one episode, and now Lucy Lawless in another one, disguising their uh, similar accents. I uh, I also like the. I think that's good acting by Lucy Lawless. There, she fakes um, vulnerability of trying to trick him into thinking she cares about him. Like I I like her her t- tales of being too tall for her age. It's cute. I, I I also really appreciate her. Like she really goes for it with the silly line of. Xena needs Zex. That's a that's a good line. Uh, but yes, as she beats him, we also get to hear a good a good Xena yell. Trick me with a ruse so hackneyed it would make Stan Lee blush. Shut up. That was not a Xena yell. That was Lucy Lawless doing a parody oh, of the popular sorry. licensed character Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> Unrelated to this episode in any way. Uh, okay. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Do you uh, want to get sued? And calling out Stanley blushing. Yes. Again, that is Stanley did have a lot of hackneyed stories. It's uh, but he had to he had to like plot eight comics a month. Give him a break. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he could have written them a little less flowery. It's either like really <laughs> sticky or like the most grand flowery dialogue. Uh, well, you know, for Stanley in the '60s, he was a writer who dreamed of being, you know 
Faulkner Hemingway and here he is on all these comic books and so he just wants to show off with all this incredibly florid dialogue that almost is like saying to readers like I'm smarter than this I'm better than these comics have you seen the size of my thesaurus yes it's exhausting to read some of those old comics. Like so much of the art is so good and that it takes forever to read less than 20 pages because it's <laughs> just so much text. I uh, I read through them all in like my first readings and stuff. But yeah, if I'm if I'm picking up my, you know, Spider-Man omnibus of the Lee and Ditko issues off the shelf now, it really is just appreciating art pretty much. Not having Spider-Man yeah. go like, uh, I don't know if I can catch this. Wait, I did. Okay, well, will I beat Doc Ock? Dr. Octopus now? I think so. Show, don't tell, Stan. <laughs> well, but then the comics go so fast that it <laughs> won't feel like they got their 12 cents worth. That is true. Yeah. The final battle uh, reaches its end while Bart and Lisa are tied up the entire time. They do nothing. They don't save the day at all. It's all Xena. That's or, right. All Lucy. That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, you better say that. And uh, they have a Phantom Menace joke, which they bring up on the commentary. They had to do some tough research because they were animating it before the movie came out. Yeah. And uh, this is a period in which, I mean, the pre-release period, me and a lot of other people, including adults, were buying the merch thinking like, oh, all Star Wars merchandise goes up in money. <laughs> but no, they simply made too much of it because it was for a very popular movie. They knew how to merchandise. So around 2005, I got rid of all of my episode one stuff I thought <laughs> would go up in value. Yeah, I remember being at the mall, uh, going to a mall, and uh, they had a display of shirts out. And I was like, oh, right. Like, I had forgotten. I think I was busy graduating eighth grade. Like, I had a lot of stuff to do. And I was like, oh, wow, I forgot there's a Star Wars coming. Mom's like, well, get a shirt with all the characters. <laughs> and she's like, look, they have the soundtrack here. Let's get that. And that is probably the thing that's one of the things that's held up best from episode one. I mean, Duel of the Fates is such a great song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the John William stuff is the only salvageable uh, element of that <laughs> whole trilogy. I will defend a lot. I mean, I think Ewan McGregor's performances are, are good. Um, yeah, yeah. I like I, Liam Neeson. And, I think uh, Ian McDeer, uh, McDeer, he does a good job. Some actors resisted George Lucas's direction, and yeah. I, I commend them for that. <laughs> Ewan was at the level that he can just be like, yeah, yeah, do a jerk off motion and then just act how he wants to act. I really wanted them all back at, at the end of Rise of Skywalker. Apparently there's green screen. Like, I don't think it was ever finished, but like they did have some of them. So I wanted Hayden and Ewan and like the, just the voices that wasn't enough for me. I yeah. didn't want... <laughs> Like, it was so insane at that point. Just have them all show up. You, the audience would have cheered. If you're like, going that ridiculous anyway and having her say, like, all the forces with me and then it basically is a Dragon Ball ending, then just have the ghosts appear on screen. Yeah, I mean, I like, that's such a deep cut to, like, pull the voices of Freddie Prince Jr. and the, the other actor from, like, the cartoons. But, like, I don't know. Just have the big ones show up. Just have Samuel L. Jackson and Ewan McGregor and Hayden there. Like, come on. Just go uh, for it. It sounds like this Episode Nine movie made some mistakes. <laughs> it sounds, I yeah. The first time hearing about this. Uh, the dead speak, but they don't show up. Come yeah. on, show up, the dead. Uh, yeah, God. And... Well, I guess we have to. Uh, well, the book explained it all, so we there's no questions left there. You got to play right? that Fortnite event yeah. to really oh, understand yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the book, the Twitch streams, you know, all the goods, all the stuff we love, all the stuff <laughs> normal people definitely seek out. 
It's it's why we all came to love Star Wars as kids for this kind of tied in merchandising. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, why don't we get to the happy ending here? Yay. As Xena uh, is triumphant. What a nerd. Lucite hardening must end life in classic Lorne Green pose from Battlestar Galactica. Best death ever. Thanks for saving us. No problem. Now let's get you kids home. Wait a minute. Xena can't fly. I told you, I'm not Xena. I'm Lucy Lawless. Oh. Stretch dude and clobber girl. I guess originally they wanted him frozen like uh, Han Solo, but they thought that was too obvious. So good choice. Even in 99, well, too much. Okay. Yes. Okay. But. I'm saying this. That's what the writers pitched originally yeah. for him to be frozen like Han Solo. Okay. It is too obvious. But oppositely, Captain Odama, which is the character that Lauren Green played in uh, 1970s 8 Battlestar Galactica, he never had a death scene. This is referencing nothing that exists. But did he have a classic pose? That, he wanted that? to be frozen in the classic pose, right? So I've, I'm, I will not say I've watched every episode of Battle, the classic Battlestar Galactica, but in my Googling, uh, Battlestar fans on Reddit said this is a reference to nothing. That is uh, not his pose. Mm. But, so that, I, sometimes that's with comedy me. writing, like not every joke has to be a home run. Sometimes you just need to make, yeah, the, the obvious one, the carbonite one. <laughs> Just so it, for clarity's sake, you know? Yeah, I think, uh, but I guess, you know, if they had done the Han Solo thing, maybe I would have just said, like, God, I'd seen a million Han Solo. We're building the this. case against Tim Long. <laughs> Look, I like Tim Long. He's written good stuff. I, I don't want to be mean, but I, I probably came at this from the angle of he was mean to Bongo Comics, and I like them. This ep- Again, this is my favorite segment of it. I love seeing Lucy Lawless fly away because apparently in real life, Lucy Lawless can fly. I I'm not Xena. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny gag. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, the, that she defeats him by defeating his collectoriness of pointing out that he, by taking his dual lightsaber out of the box, it's, uh, it now is new, no longer mint. And that, that shock destroys him. I like that. Uh, though this joke about lightsabers couldn't possibly imagine oh, the, the incredible $200 plus dollar experience of building your own lightsaber in Batu at the galaxy's edge. Yeah, I I still have not seen that show. I was I thought someone I knew by this point would be going and I could tag along because you can bring a handful of friends with you. If you, one person is going to buy one, you can bring some guests. Me and but my husband. I, I think that's such a shitty show. I think that's such <laughs> a stupid move. Like anyone can watch the Wand show at Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I like the privacy of it, though. I, me and my husband did spend that stupid Don't look at my wand. It's not yes. done. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, I'm for the people who get it and are excited about it, like, I think it's great. It Look, it's dumb and I feel shame. You, you don't have to, don't humor me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, no, look, it was it was a fun time. And now I can uh, remember when I used to get to go to Disneyland. And uh, when I look at oh, that. Oh, that's, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so why do we move on to a happier subject here? Y2K. A disaster that was averted. Yes, yeah. I, it's hard in the time we're recording this on May 1st of 2020. Uh, it's hard not to view it through the lens of current times, but I've heard people mentioning it as this thing of like, everybody treated it like we overreacted when it was perhaps instead us correctly reacting and preparing accordingly. Mm. Because, But because nothing bad happened, we think we overreacted 
overreacted to it. Well, it was a time-based scenario, so we definitely knew when we it would happen. That. Instead yes, of having yeah. like, oh, your city will be locked down in 12 hours. Get groceries now. Yeah, do now. It now. <laughs> yeah, that, this was probably the most flack I've gotten for speaking flippantly on a podcast. I believe it was on mine on one of the Millennium, uh, probably the Millennium Village episode, where I was describing like Y2K. Like I was so nervous about Y2K, and my dad, as she worked in computers at the time, assured me that they had fixed it and all. But I made it sound like it wasn't a big deal. But no, it took. I recognized, and I knew at the time, it took quite a lot of people working very hard to get everything right and uh, figure it out. Mm-hmm. This is one of uh, three primetime Fox cartoons that did a Y2K episode. So, Good lord, yeah. Yeah, there was a Family Guy one and a King of the Hill one. I think the King of the Hill one is the best one. Both the, the three, yeah, yeah. Both the Family Guy one and this one are like Treehouse of Horrors and that they don't take place <laughs> within the reality of the show. I think they both have the same jokes about plane crashing, even. <laughs> though, uh, though this Simpsons doesn't end with a reference to Dallas. So. That's true. <laughs> Oh, yeah. For me, Y2K, I mean, I worried a lot about things. I was an anxious child so or teen. So definitely the run to Y2K made me worried. Uh, my dad worked in telecoms as well at a company called Altel, which I don't think exists anymore. He knew the guys working on the Y2K team. He wasn't uh, working specifically on it, but he was telling us to not worry. But he also did tell us that at Altel, they had like dug a well in the basement and had generators set up up just in case <laughs> oh good yeah so that that worried me hearing that information i think my family didn't care and i thought it was <laughs> bullshit because i was a 17 year old who knew it all and the night that happened i was not i was 17 so i wasn't like out partying or anything although i could have been if i was cool i was talking to my first girlfriend over the phone all night while playing the playstation game brave fencer musashi at the nice. same time yep very cool <laughs> uh i was definitely alone and single on um new year's day 99 but well fox uh, made living single cool again right <laughs> that's true i was well, i wasn't having as much fun as those ladies mm. were but uh, uh but yeah i i think i was definitely worried and then once it passed uh on on the east coast time zone which we, that was the real test we really should have just told ourselves like well it happened in japan like 12 hours ago and they're fine so i think we're okay but uh yeah i think once it passed on the east coast i i could relax then yeah yes these though the rest of that day i definitely was thinking about we got to storm that Altel office if it if it comes down to it. They've got a well. We'll be okay. Uh, but yes, this opening gag here, we got Dick Clark rocking us into New Year's Eve. And oh yes, I guess actually I need to play our death jingle, don't I? Mm-hmm. Death stalks you at every turn. Ah, there it is, death! So there were a lot of these jokes about how Dick Clark is an ageless person or a robot. He's a robot in this one. He was yep. in Futurama as well this year. But the thing about it is we make jokes about old people not knowing they'll one day die. <laughs> and that's what happened to Dick Clark because suddenly he had a stroke like in the early 2000s and then he became the age he truly was. Yeah, it's uh, so that it's just a bummer to see it now. Yeah. But, but in 1999, it was a fun joke to be like, oh, Dick Clark looks the same in 1999 as he did in 1969. I think his name was like America's youngest teenager or yeah, oldest, teenager, oldest teenager rather teenager, yeah. yeah yeah and he had been hosting the rock and Eve for decades at this point yeah I like the rock and Eve I, I like this segment this might be my favorite of the three segments oh you like the uh you like the speculation about the y2k you know, I like the y2k uh the celebrity the rapid fire celebrities at the end I have a lot of <laughs> thoughts on oh me too uh-huh. and I like how this briefly becomes maximum overdrive uh, the Yardley Smith movie you're right yeah it does 
Oh, the Stephen King car movie? One of the Stephen King car movies? Yeah, that one, not only cars, but, like, vending machines come to life and kill people. An ATM says, fuck you, to somebody. Great. Uh, Yeah, so why don't we we hear a little bit of Dick Clark, R.I.P.? This is Dick Clark, rocking down to the year 2000, and that was Whitesnake. We're not Whitesnake, dude, we're poison. I thought we were quiet riot. (laughs) It says here we're rat. Man alive, what a stinko thousand years. Blimp rats, <laughs> teenagers. And again, we had two TV shows with Andy Griffith. And 11 with Robert Yurick. Super freak, super freak, I'm super freaking. Yeah. Oh man, what I do now? Wonderful. <laughs> so, is him saying super freaking, is that, does that protect them in a Lucy Lawless Xena kind of way? I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> and the music is a little bit off. Uh, but we also get, before that, reference to Matlock. Like, one of the last Matlock references. Even you're then, it's right. kind of vague. Yeah, you're right. I didn't even clock that as a Matlock yeah. reference. Matlock and the Andy of the show. <laughs> Matlock and uh, Diagnosis Murder, my grandparents' favorite shows, pretty much memory hold entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the current culture yeah people love murder she wrote and i think it's part of that universe but they don't remember the other things that were in that no. world yeah it's weird or the um the one with sammo hung what was that martial show? law like, oh martial law yeah. i get it <laughs> <laughs> i i really like that show because i i was i was a hung head i liked uh, <laughs> but i really did as a as a jackie chan film viewer you also become a fan of his uh compatriot sam hung and uh his i watched a few episodes of that but martial law was like adjacent to walker texas ranger yes uh but uh i'll buy mar so boy robert urich shows uh if you count mini series and extended guest spots on shows robert urich in 1999 had actually appeared on 14 shows oh man if you count like lonesome dove as a tv show and if you count that sure it sure. uh then he's really up to 14 also you know he's not in every episode of soap but he's in a lot of the first season as oh. uh and and robert urich would pass away in 2002 but he'd be in one more tv show as a regular emerald he's on oh. the emerald Legacy oh show. yeah was he bam dad on that show is that uh, why you died <laughs> i think he is bam's dad okay it, yes. bam's, yeah, bam's the, dad the bam dad <laughs> Uh, that's right up there with Father of the Pride of shows. That uh, <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how Emerald... I mean, I remember watching it. We were a big fan of Emerald, and certainly Emerald had um, multiple restaurants at the Universal Orlando Resort, both of which were closed at this point. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess he had a 20-year lease because that's about when they uh, all sw- sh- shut down. That makes sense. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, but Man, they're uh, just like Matt Besser with that long lease there. <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, Sorry, that's in a very inside joke. I think Emerald a little better with with his uh, com- LLC's finances. <laughs> and that joke about Rick James being arrested, it's because in the 90s he got arrested for a lot of things. Uh, when I Googled that and looked on his Wikipedia page, what they were, uh, his accusations and arrests were for, they're not funny and not uh, fun to talk about. So just a bummer. And uh, they really make me feel bad that he kind of got, you know, rebuilt as a cartoon character. People are <laughs> like, uh, oh, I'm Rick James. Like, no, he did a lot of bad stuff. I thought he was a fun sketch comedy uh, cartoon. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, then Dick Clark thanks a bunch of super geeks, and uh, we find out that Homer was in charge of uh, preparing for Y2K. He's got his Millennium Pennant. It's uh, one of Homer's many pennants. I do love Homer's line that when Mar when Lisa points out, like, well, did you not? Well, what if you didn't prepare? He says, like, well, that can't be true. If it was, I'd be terrified. <laughs> like. That, <laughs> I think of that line a lot, actually. Yeah, in my it's life. Like, like, well, I'm not scared, so everything must be fine. Yeah, because I'm in denial. <laughs> if it were true, then I'd be terrified. That by not being terrified, it's not true. Uh, but in this case, it was true. Y2K happens. Dick Clark is revealed to be a robot and uh, disintegrates. Uh, we get to see, a, we hear an evil version of Old Lang Syne playing over the many Y2K mishaps, which include like uh, Nelson broke into the school at midnight to photocopy his butt and sure. get eaten by the photocopy. Classic new year's eve prank <laughs> yeah and uh there the spinning restaurant happens which uh spins off into space which same one appeared in the previous episode of the about the food critic and uh then we got some very pre-9-11 jokes about planes a crash in mm, who's gonna clean up all those jets <laughs> There goes the clothesline. Well, those ivory tower eggheads have screwed us again. <laughs> Let's just have some milk and go to bed. Oh, hey, this milk's broken. It's got a computer chip in it. Everything does. <laughs> I, it's a very Simpsons touch that the planes are falling out of the sky completely intact. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Just, they just drop straight down instead of like, you know. Again, it's one of those jokes that after 9-11, you know what plane crashes actually look like. And it's, uh, you can't imagine this joke anymore. It is like crescent. Everything pretty much does have a computer chip in it now, or at least a QR code. And I do love that line about ivory tower eggheads have screwed us again. I feel like that's a very funny running segment of like the Simpsons is talking about like getting screwed by the elites. But looking back, there's a very funny friction of like, didn't a lot of you go to Harvard? Yes. And very yes. quickly become very wealthy from the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they are the ivory tower eggheads Homer hates in a, from a certain point of view. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good point. Yeah. I, uh, well, also, I think it's funny that Homer Homer takes the of all the things to hate. He hates the eggheads, not. Uh, <laughs> and also, he's the one who failed. This is all Homer that doomed the world here. Yeah. I mean, at least at this point, like the criticism of the elites have have morphed. We're a little more mask off in 2020 of like pedophiles. We're talking about rich uh, uh, billionaire pedophiles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We can be more direct now about that. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut to Lovejoy. He's giving everybody a pronouncement of the end times. I love that he's he's like, yeah, this is the end times. Finally, I can give my end time speech. It's those plotting goes. It's weird that the first and last segment both have extended scenes in the church with Lovejoy. Oh, you're right. And Ned is a part of it too. But uh, I don't think I've ever seen a beetle boot in the wild either. I haven't either. But this this sort of this is the premonition of uh, Ned's uh, beetle obsession. That That's he has true. a secret beetles room. I forgot that secret Beatles room he has uh it's uh homer does a joke about michael jackson owning all their music in that scene as i, I recall oh, now yeah. 
The church scene ends with Wiggum telling everybody it's time to go a looting, which Homer excitedly runs off to do, including uh, getting some stuff for Marge. And uh, then we get the Planet of the Apes music, which we just heard on the last one Jason was on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Which, again, is a nice reminder that Disney owns the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. uh, among the and many things they own. Like, Homer seems to forget that all the appliances are coming to life when he goes out to buy Marge an appliance, or oh, loot yeah. her an appliance. <laughs> Still very strange uh, the second time I've had to hunt out a specific Simpsons episode and i have to go to disney plus still very odd <laughs> i uh, i broke out my dvds for this i actually re if you i think the dvds might be going out of print soon i don't know i could be i could be wrong but there's they're fetching a high price on amazon new yeah, copies they're think, going wow. for retail price now when they used to be like 12 dollars. <laughs> get these out of here my conspiracy theory is that i think disney wants them to go out of print to release their own maybe with changed or expanded perhaps ex- extras but the old dvd DVDs there, they're running out. What a world. <laughs> Marge gets a lady chick, which uh, buzzes, uh, Lady Remington, which buzzes her neck and almost kills her. And the world is seemingly at an end. And Homer, Homer has the, in this scene of him correcting Lisa. I to, love this. <laughs> it has the spirit of people who reply with the same joke you just tweeted <laughs> in a Twitter a joke. Well, look at the wonders of the computer age now. Wonders, Lisa, or blunders? I think that was implied by what I said. Implied, Lisa, or implode? Mom, make him stop. (laughs) Oh, no. Krusty! My pacemaker is stuck on Hummingbird! Nectar! Nectar! I need to drink my weight in nectar! Krusty! Hey, a note. You have been selected for Operation Exodus. They're evacuating the Earth. (gasps) We're saved. (laughs) Thank you, sweet clown. In death, you saved us all. I'm not dead. I can still hear his voice on the wind. (laughs) I think Krusty was going to be put on the other rocket, though. You know, I think you're right. I think you're right. When they tried to present Krusty's letter in the next scene, they should have been like, oh, no, you're on the wrong rocket. The the hummingbird heart thing, that's pretty funny, too. But I I just love Homer's, like, useless uh, (laughs) additions to Lisa's statement. You're right. That is when you make a joke on Twitter and someone replies with a lesser version of the same joke. Yes, yeah. Which I have to remind myself sometimes to be like, you know what, is this, am I restating this person's joke in a reply? And if that, if that is what I'm doing, I, I hit discard and delete that tweet. Uh, but yes, the Krusty, we were talking about the elite earlier. It seems that Krusty is in the club that gets invited to like the David, the David Geffen yacht. <laughs> uh, except the yacht <laughs> off of space. And uh, yeah, so on the commentary, or all right, a lot of previous guest stars are in the lineup of the people who are on the good rocket. And that includes, or they just reuse some old designs they had yeah. from before. We don't actually hear anybody talk yeah, on the good uh, rocket. But uh, I would say, all right, let's talk about the occupants of these rockets, both of them <laughs> here. Mel Gibson, Mark McGuire, Bill Gates, they should not be on the good rocket. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And Spike Lee should not be on the bad rocket. Yeah, that that yeah, I that's find... weird. 
I guess it's because he was outspoken for all of these I, white writers. <laughs> I guess. Uh, on the commentary, Ron Hauge even points out, like, I disagree with that. It shouldn't be yeah. it shouldn't be Spike Lee there. I mean, I think Mel Gibson and Bill... Def, Bill Gates is running this rocket. He's not invited on the rocket. Yeah, he's, he's, he's driving it. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you need a baseball player like Mark McGuire for in this new planet? Like, was he in the previous that, episode? We're recording uh, these out of order. He's on the Ritalin episode. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very timely reference in the late 90s. <laughs> Uh, but now he's been proven to be quite a liar the entire time. But, uh, though, I mean, his crime's less compared to Mel Gibson. And obviously, from what we know of Bill Gates, a certain other person would be in this line with him, I think, mm, would be invited along. His best pal. His best pal in the world, his favorite research mm-hmm. buddy. <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Hey, let's hear this uh, this clip of Lisa being invited on board. Wow, there's Bill Gates, Stephen Hawking, Paul McCartney, Michael Jordan, Michelle Kwan. They must be starting a new civilization on Mars with our best and brightest. Dead touch. Name, please. Certainly. I am the uh, piano genius from the movie Shine. Uh-huh. And your name is? Uh... Shiny McShine? Actually, he's Homer Simpson. That's Bart. I'm Lisa. Lisa Simpson? Oh, you're the ship's proofreader. Welcome aboard. Now, before you enter, you're going to have to make a very difficult choice. You're only allowed to take one parent with you. Mom. <laughs> Love you lots! Goodbye, Lisa. Remember me as I am. Filled with murderous rage. Well, son... I guess this is the end. But we've both had long, full lives. All right. Hey, look, another spaceship. And there's nobody guarding it. Let's go. Got how quickly and flatly Lisa goes, Mom. And then, it's like, great. walks away. Oh, so good. Great I love reading. that delivery. Yeah, really good. <laughs> it's what Homer earned. And also, like, the way Marge just goes, like, love you lots. And then, like, happily abandons Bart, too. Like, yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm abandoning you, And Bart. Lisa's given the, uh, I guess, valuable job for the New Society of Proofreader. That's a funny specific they got her for. <laughs> and Maggie really lucked out there, too. She gets to be saved all the same just because you can carry her in her arms. Yeah. Shiny McShine is the ling- is the only like lingering memory people have of the film Shine. Oh, yeah. Which uh, starred Jeffrey Rush and was about, uh, I had to look this up, David Helfgott. That's his name, an Australian pianist who, knock on wood, still with us at the time of this recording. So whenever you guys think of Shiny McShine, the man's real name is David Helfgott. That, that's the pianist. And uh, I, I only watched it because uh, me and my mom were very invested in that year's Oscar race. And we're like, well, how good is Jeffrey Rush? You know, like, and he was really good as old shiny McShine. <laughs> well, uh, all right. We're on the death ship. First of all, pretty silly of the world government to spend all this money to send them on a ship into space when you could just like shoot them in the back of the head in yeah. a mass grave. I right? mean, they could just have abandoned them to be killed by machines on the earth, but they wanted to make sure that none of these people would breed with each other. <laughs> if anything lives, then these people can't be there. I guess I guess that is a good intention. No, wait, that's not a good intention. <laughs> what am I saying? So they fly off. Honestly, seeing all the nukes going off from space is actually like really fucking me up right now. I don't. Oh, like yeah. seeing that scene. It is very dark. Uh, but uh, Homer realizes that this uh, is not the trip to paradise he thought. I can't believe I destroyed the Earth. Are you still talking about the Earth? You're right. I gotta let it go. All that counts is we're alive and rubbing elbows with the greats. <gasps> Ooh, there's Ross Perot. Dr. Laura. It's 
Spike Lee. Wait a minute. They're not so great. Okay, but there's Dan Quayle and Courtney Love, Tonya Harding, Al Sharpton. <laughs> ah! Tom Arnold! What the hell's going on? Wait, only that ship is going to Mars. Ours is headed for the sun. Yeah, ain't that a kick of the teeth? I mean, my shows weren't great, but I never tied people up and forced them to watch. And I could have, because I'm a big guy and I'm good with knots. So we're all going to die? <laughs> Afraid so, but hey, the grub's pretty good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Chugging the can of peaches. The can of peaches, yeah. that's a pretty great joke, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good at knots. It's funny that uh, for 20 years, Rosie O'Donnell, Paulie Shore, and Tom Arnold have been shorthand for, like, annoying person. Yeah, yeah. I've seen Tom Arnold in some stuff, and I think he's was good. He's in the movie Happy Endings, which is an all right mm. little movie. Lisa Kudrow is the best in it, but uh, but it's it's not bad, and he's good in it. But to, I mean, Tom Arnold also like uh, the last five years, he's just been a kook who's he keeps promising all this stuff like, oh, I've got the dirt on Trump. I That's got the right. Dirt on Trump. He had like, the he said he had the P tape or whatever, and he said he had like the tape of him saying the N word, and it's like, nah, put put up or shut up, yeah. Tom Arnold. Um, I'll tell my Paulie Shore story real quick. Oh, boy. Uh, let's hear it. Um, I, he was a judge at Tournament of Nerds, a show we used to, uh, we do at UCB uh, every month. Um, UCB, you know, it's too long to explain. Um, <laughs> it hopefully will exist at some point in some better form uh, again. But so Paulie Shore was a judge, and I forget what character I was debating in favor of. But um, we, when it came time to judge my round, he went, uh, let's hear it for this guy, huh? He did a great job, and he's weird looking. Whoa! And I was like, all right, Paulie Shore, that's big of you. That's a lot coming from you. Yeah. And, and then shortly thereafter, he went to the bathroom for a while hmm. and then came back on stage with a lot more pep in his step than yeah. before. So That's make of that what you will. Classic comedy store trick. Yeah, the comedy Classic <laughs> comedy store shenanigans. Wow. Boy, if he like, just had like a really good dump and he just felt <laughs> good, you know? <laughs> I guess so. It's also, I think, a little uncouth to leave the stage in the middle of a show that is still going on that is true yeah, yeah. i well. would say like if you're gonna make fun of my appearance uh make a good joke not like you're weird looking and then yeah like punch it up you're nah, probably sure I mean, that's uh, that's yeah. uh, that's pretty shitty of him to do honestly i would not debate against paulie shore being on this plane he should be on that plane for sure yeah you but, know but equating dr laura with spike lee though i don't like that. yeah uh, she would not like him on that plane no she, she would <laughs> yeah. refuse to get on i'm gonna say henry you've been pointing out a lot of errors in this episode you did not point out the error how long it would take you to travel to the sun yeah okay that's a right, real problem yeah. that that's a never, real they'd, issue they'd all starve to death before yeah. it got to the sun or just yeah. die of old age if they were fed peaches constantly that too until yeah. they died of natural <laughs> causes or from dysentery from eating canned peaches that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and also you know a little too mean to courtney love she's got her flaws but uh i i don't know i don't i feel like there's a lot of like sexism in the hate on courtney love would you believe that uh, Polly shore and Ar tom arnold have still not appeared in a movie together mm. but but in 2019, they did co-star in an episode of Celeb Family Feud against each other. So if you're dying to see a real Tom Arnold, uh, Pauly Shore team up, there you go. Uh, but wow. <laughs> yes, uh, Steve Harvey officiating all uh, over it all. Oh. 
But yeah, so these Rosie O'Donnell jokes, there's many eras of jokes about Rosie O'Donnell, uh, many of them about her weight, certainly. But I'm glad they didn't go there. It's like she yes. sings a lot and then fires cush balls at you. Yeah, which is very specific to the uh, daytime talk show of the Rosie O'Donnell show, which I was a regular summer viewer of it because I am gay and I liked all of it. <laughs> I liked all the Broadway things they did she in it. It sure was a lot of fun. Likes Tom <laughs> yeah. Cruise. Were you were you a daytime viewer of it too, Jason? I would catch it a little. I think an aunt went to a taping once. Oh, that's so and, cool. Uh, I believe Tom Cruise might have been the guest because the what? audience had a choice between a VHS of Jerry Maguire or Mission Impossible. That's, that's how amazing. I saw Mission Impossible for the first time. <laughs> uh, th- wow, that's amazing. You get she had been talking up her love of Tom Cruise for like three years before she finally got him on that show. All, yeah. And look, we all know why she did that. It's a platonic yes. love. Yes. Well, I mean, it's not like Tom Cruise is going to reciprocate either. But I'm, oh. yeah. But uh, she's shooting cush balls here on the plane, just as she did uh, into her audience for years on the show, which was still going strong. 1999 wouldn't end until 2002. Uh, and that's and once the show ended, that's when Rosie could come out of the closet and everybody could know. become the hated villain of Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, why do we hear a happier ending of characters committing suicide? The sun? That's the hottest place on Earth! Gonna work on my tannage, buddy. Polly Shore? Wow! Hey, we should do a show together, man. That's a sure cure for the blues. Yeah. Hey, turn those frowns around! No, Rosie O'Donnell! Come on, everybody! Sing along! Clang, clang, clang with the trolley! This side only! Ding, ding, ding with the bell! Zing, zing, zing with my heartstrings! From the moment I saw him, I fell! Don't worry, Dad. We'll be dead in five minutes. Not fast enough! <laughs> <laughs> It took 11 years. That was the first on-screen suicide of Bart and Homer. (laughs) (laughs) That I remember being very unnerved by. Uh, uh, that said, I love Meet Me in St. Louis, and uh, yeah. I I don't think that song's annoying. Mr. Uh, Burns hated it. No, that's true. Yeah, it's uh, he he beat he kicked Martin for that. You know what though? Uh, Ron Haugie wrote that sketch or that segment. He was a Ren and Snippy writer. So many Ren and Snippies end with them killing themselves or dying. That that, that is true. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I I just watched the. There's this Martin Scorsese three part history of film that goes up to like the 1950s or 60s. Um, and he points out Meet Me in St. Louis is one of the first, um, if not the first movie musical where the people, the characters don't work in show business. Like the characters just live their lives and burst into song. They don't have to be in show business. Oh, I didn't know that. That's uh, that's pretty, that makes me like that film even more. I mean, I'm a Judy, I'm a Judy Stan for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, and Rosie would sing these kind of songs all the time uh, with uh, John McDee and the DLTs as, right. uh, as her backing band. Uh, yeah. I mean, also this kind of joke, this felt weird for the Simpsons then to ha- just list silly celebrity or not silly, but like to just take so, so many direct shots at specific celebrities in a row. It, uh, it feels a little criticky, I think. It you does. Know? I would have asked all of yeah. them to be on the show for their five second <laughs> role before we murder them. Uh, they, I mean, they joke about how Tom Arnold was a real good sport. And he knew, like, he was making fun of them 
them in between recordings. Like specifically, I think they said he he mocked Matt Selman and how Matt Selman looked. <laughs> uh, but the I mean, the, they also say that he's a bad singer on that. But he's not. I mean, he's not particularly in tune there now. But uh, I like hearing him in the mix. Uh, but yeah, Homer and Bart's heads exploding, especially the way Bart's smiling, <laughs> expanding head is drawn. It's so memorable. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. This is a fun. This is a fun treehouse, even if it's full of inaccuracies. Uh, <laughs> but and it gifted us with you know things like a wizard, wizard did, did it. it. Yes, like, yeah. It's hard to yeah. hard to dislike an episode like this. This is, and this is the first in production of season eleven. A season I'm sure will stay quality the ups, entire way through. Ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, Jason, you've been with us for a very long time. Thank yeah. you so much for all of your time. Please plug uh, podcast the right and all the great stuff you do. Oh sure. Um, yeah, I am one of the hosts. Of podcast the ride. It's a comedy podcast about theme parks. Um, which I mean, our logline for years now has been hosted by three childless men in their thirties. Uh, Scott went and had a child uh in the last couple weeks you wow. have to let him go now yeah we're, we're working on uh i believe we have settled on for now two childless men in their 30s and one child full men or three <laughs> child uh, three men in their 30s uh of assorted levels of childedness um, there's no celibacy so, vow yet <laughs> on the podcast uh uh yes that's right um, so uh yeah you can find us wherever you get your podcasts so we're on twitter and instagram we're starting to fuck around with twitch streaming too watching specials and and just chatting on there and uh, you can find uh the second gate or our sort of like deep dive into the otter areas of theme park history and also our own personal interest like uh, father of the pride and some of the more um odd things on uh, disney plus although we don't give them too much publicity <laughs> Uh, at patreon.com slash podcast the ride thank you so much yeah i your father of the pride one ruled your the fuzz buckets another great one on the uh behind the gate and your uh trutherism about uh, uh the 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 seagull that hit uh fabia that was a goose, uh, goose. goose. you were not paying goose. attention uh, sorry. You, sorry. you thought was i thought you were a stickler uh, I, you're right i i'm hoisted by my own petard <laughs> here but uh, that's all right uh, but thank you so much again jason Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. So thanks so much to Jason Sheridan. Be sure to check out Podcast The Ride. We love it. Uh, But if you want to support our show and get all of these episodes one week ahead of time and ad-free, please go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And if you sign up at the $5 level there, you'll get just that. But also access to all of the podcasts behind the $5 paywall. That includes over 100 bonus podcasts that you haven't heard yet. But most recently, behind that paywall has been Talking Mission Hill, the currently unraveling Talking Mission Hill, our Talking Simpsons style exploration of the entire Mission Hill series. And you can only get that at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons at the $5 level. But Henry can tell everybody out there what's happening at the $10 level. One super long podcast once a month just for patrons at that level or higher. That's right. That's the What a Cartoon Movie, our monthly premium podcast only for $10 and up subscribers at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Me and Bob cover a different animated feature film once a month. We have over 60 hours in the back catalog there um recent ones include toy story 2 and lupin the third castle of cogliostro we have a ton of fun on these and there's going to be a brand new one in june as well that you want to look forward to so please get all that five dollar stuff bob talked about plus our monthly what a cartoon movie 10 bucks a month at patreon 
dot com slash talking simpsons so i've been one of your hosts bob Mackey. you can find me on twitter as bob servo my other podcast is retronauts the classic gaming podcast you can find that wherever you find podcasts or go to patreon.com slash retronauts and sign up there and get access to two exclusive episodes every month that are just as long as the regular free ones again that is patreon.com slash retronauts henry how about you please follow me henry gilbert on twitter h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g i do tons of fun stuff there plus you should really be following the official twitter account of this podcast at talk simpsons pod do you want to know when new stuff goes live on the patreon or the free feed or when we have cool things a brewing behind the scenes you need to follow at talk simpsons pod on twitter thank you so much for listening folks we will see you next week for eiei annoyed grunt and we'll see you then Chapter 